Hey everyone, uh, good day. This is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, I'll quickly and briefly get these uh, commercials out of the way as quick as possible. 12 Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. It is the 12 steps for everyone and anyone. I just got back today from an inaugural meeting at a church where uh, this group is expanding and a fellow was having it in his living room and the, the, uh, the meeting started to grow beyond that guy's living room capacity and so they've uh, secured a church and today was the first one of those and I just love to see people uh, show interest in these tools that saved my life and try to be a part of doing that. So it's 12-Step Spiritual Recovery. James Christopher Cohn is the author. You can get that on Amazon. Darren Frank's music is wrapped around this podcast. Uh, he is one of my recovery brothers. As a matter of fact, he is my uh, grand sponsor. Uh, so I just always want to thank him for allowing me to use his royalty-free music on my podcast. And um, DTM Woodwork and Handyman's my little woodwork handyman business here in the Louisville metropolitan area. Anybody uh, has a use for that, uh, my number is 502-292-7444. If you're just uh, bopping along and ran into this podcast, the Spiritual Underground Podcast, I'll let you know that it is uh, primarily a 12-step based recovery podcast. Uh, I do explore other areas in which people find their true selves, and uh, I believe that's a base definition for recovery is uh, to find that which was lost or stolen. And uh, some of my, some of me, my true self was both lost and stolen over the years. Uh, we say in the recovery communities that the bottles and the pills and the, all that are really just symptom of a deeper underlying malady. And um, as the before mentioned, uh, TSSR is also geared to, uh, to address that. So um, we're about recovery here, about finding your own, finding your true voice, your true self, uh, healing the true spirit you have inside and uh, my guest today, Cindy, is here to tell you her story about that. Uh, you know, I always have this little nudge in the back of my head about like wanting to, and I don't know what that is. You know, there's, I, I don't think I will ever completely like arrive where like I am just totally 100% solid and not, and quit guessing, my, uh, second guessing myself and having the little nudges. Cause I instantly I had a little nudge that said, should I really say how I know you? Or should I not? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, the baseline truth here is, is that, uh, each and every time I have that question in my mind today, I know the honest answer is the only answer. Uh, it just is, and that's pretty simple. That's pretty damn simple. Just tell the truth, Dan. <laughs> uh, I sponsor Cindy's husband, Travis. You've heard his story in here. If you're listening, Travis has been on uh, a few of these podcasts telling different things like about last year's elk hunt. And he's always at the retreats and uh, you hear his voice anytime a multiple of us are in the, in the studio at the same time. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a real interesting thing of when a couple becomes uh, um, either, either together or not become some one of a couple begins to take the path of recovery. Um, one of the hardest things I think in the world is, is, is when that happens and one of the couple recovers and the other doesn't, uh, I personally, I, I can't imagine how that works. And, and I can't imagine anything harder than trying to get sober when your partner is not interested in, in supporting you, uh, in that. And when I say support, you know, they might stand there and say they support everything, mm -hmm. but yet they, you know, they're walking out to the garage burning one when, you know, <laughs> right after dinner. And I'm not, you know, that's not my idea of support. Uh, 
drinking in front of you and mm-hmm. uh, having alcohol in the home and, and different things like that. So anyway, uh, um, Travis and Cindy's traveled that path and uh, Cindy just, uh, well, I'll ask her in just a minute, but she just uh, crossed over that wonderful 365 one year of, mm-hmm. of uh, sobriety mark. And uh, when is your sobriety date? It's June 1st of 2020. Right. Yep. So just a little, couple months. months ago. Actually, today is August the 1st. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 14 months today. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't I guess it makes like a case study thing. I don't know why I'm so interested. I, I'll tell you one thing was is that when I first came to recovery, uh, I had the, the stereotypical newcomer thing of thinking I could do this my way. You know, I know you poor folks here in this room probably had to do all that work, uh, but I'm a little different, so uh, <laughs> I probably won't really have to. Uh, my mm. next time in my current sobriety date, I decided to uh, start watching what the winners were doing yeah. and do what they did. So I continue to allow these uh, this Petri dish that's the recovery community uh, provide examples because they're all teachers. Some are teaching me what to do and some are teaching me what not to do. But to know Travis since his early, early in his, well, early in his current journey, because we all have this, I shouldn't say all, many of us have this buffer zone before we actually get it. Before, you know, they say keep coming back until the miracle happens. And I had a four year stint between when I first went to my first AA meeting and my current sobriety date where I spent all that time trying to do it some other way than the way the people in the rooms were telling me to do it. And uh, so since Travis uh, came to the spiritual underground and it's just, uh, I think it's natural and it's also expected that you talk about what's going on in your life. So Mm -hmm. uh, having gotten close to Travis, I've heard a lot. (laughs) All good things, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, And mostly about, you know, most of it is that struggle I was talking about earlier because you were both, you know, you, you, I don't think you can do this hand in hand, uh, each individual has to have their path, yeah, right? And, absolutely. And, and yet to still stay connected at the same time and survive that process. Uh, and, and you all have done that, you know. And, and he, you know, when when things aren't going right, it, the way, you know, not right, that's not right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he has some things he needs to vent, well, he should, you know, we're, we're a safe place that he can mm-hmm. vent those things. And uh, I'm very glad to have that in my life today where I have uh, safe people to discharge my negative energy into. Right. Uh, so I don't have to carry it around and allow it swim around up in my fishbow head all day. <laughs> uh, I get to discharge it. So uh, I always start out. Well, how are you doing today anyway? I'm good. Y'all just came I'm back from a grateful meeting. to be here. This is truly an honor. I've heard a lot of great things about this podcast. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. And you all just came from a from a meeting as well we right did. yeah we did participating in your recovery mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh usually what i start out with is i just ask people where they grew up at what their family life was like you know siblings the one one of the things that becomes very obvious is that none of that matters to this disease it does not. <laughs> you could you could be sitting there with a silver spoon in your mouth and it never left or you could have been brought up in a well actually uh 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 uh, uh, African village. Right. <clears throat> you know, when I was thinking about that um, on the way here today, um, because for like a long time, I used to be able to 
I wanted to play the victim, right? I wanted to blame my upbringing on my disease. Um, or I'm sorry, I wanted to blame my disease on my upbringing, rather. Um, but I was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, you know, mom and dad, who both loved me very much. Um, I have two sisters, um, one by the same father, and then, you know, one uh, by my stepdad. My parents divorced um, when I was pretty young. I want to say I think I was three or four um, when they got divorced. Um, so primarily my mom raised me and my sister. Um, my dad was a part of my life, um, but it was more a part of my life, like every other weekend, once a week, here and there, holidays. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I just remember growing up and, like, being very close to my mom and to my sister um, because of the way that our lives were. Um, and I don't know, I'll never forget, like, my mom eventually started to, you know, date and make herself happy. And I think I was in the fifth fifth grade, fourth grade, um, when she met my stepdad. And I'll never forget her asking me um, if it was okay if, if, if she married this man. And in my heart, I felt I wanted to say no. Mm. No, it's not okay with me. Like, that's how codependent I was that early on. And I guess as kids, we're supposed to be codependent. But I didn't feel right about it. And I yeah. wanted to say no. But at the no same one time, would share their parent with another yeah. person besides their, you know. But I wanted her to also be happy, um, and so I said yes. And I think I just carried that resentment towards him with me well into my yeah, adult life. Yeah. You know? Yes, so. but you will pay for this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was raised raised Catholic. Um, I'm a recovering Catholic, as a lot of people say. Yeah, a lot of people you do. You know, um, Went to Catholic school my entire life from kindergarten to 12th grade. Most of the wildest know, kids I church, know went to Catholic yep, church. Church, Catholic twice schools. a week, like all girls in high school. Um, it was crazy. But, uh, you know, and I, I just grew up because uh, one of the most important things um, I have today in my recovery is having a God of my understanding. Um, and I'm so glad I was able to find that because, and this was probably my personal perception right because um, we have a disease of perception um, but I was just terrified as a Catholic and I still am a Catholic and I'm still a Christian but the God I grew up to understand was a judging God and I was terrified of him and yeah. so when I was old enough to make my own choices when it came to God I just ran the other way yeah yeah I was so, just sharing that a little bit ago yeah. that, you know at some level you know and I know there's an answer there to how to do life you know those are some pretty good guidelines inside of probably any religion right uh but for whatever reason when it was being um handed to me there was something inside me that couldn't buy it mm -hmm. you know there was pieces of it that just couldn't i couldn't get with you know right. like that fear tactic kind of stuff that's you know hell and brimstone and if i'm not a good boy i'm gonna go to hell kind of talk you know and this for whatever reason just didn't resonate with me they mm -hmm. felt that there was something wrong with it you know and like I think to some extent it was, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I ain't buying that part of it. So then therefore I'm not going to buy anything. Right. Right. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. Like one of the things is, you know, this, I people, there's another little phrase, all these little phrases we use around recovery. I mm -hmm. know that's one of the things like when somebody comes in and they're new, we sound like Charlie Brown's mom and dad yeah. uh, or teachers, you know, they're hearing oh, all this language. That, yeah. uh, it's like, none of that's making sense to mm -hmm. me quite, you know, but uh, I grew up with everything I needed and most of what I wanted. 
Right. You know, and right. I think I heard you say a similar kind of thing that, right. that you were well taken care of. Mm-hmm. There's not a, and you know, those other stories is, are out here, though, is where people, you know, were really had awful childhoods. Right. You know, you almost I sit here and I think, well, no wonder you drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if that happened to me, I would too, but that's not what this disease does. It does. It doesn't care. Do you know if you have any alcoholism addiction in your family? And I don't need you to name anybody, but now, I just wondered. I mean, I do not know for sure. Um, I have like hunches that maybe I know. Like my grandma on my dad's side passed away. Um, she passed away when she was fifty. I mean, I was like three or four when she passed away. Um, and I've just heard in stories that they were heavy drinkers. Um, but no one has ever confirmed that if it, if it was actually like an issue or not. So I don't know. I, I've always kind of felt like the black sheep of my family because everyone else in my family is on, on the surface yeah. what we would consider normal. <laughs> Once I learned about this disease, you know, and that, and, and you know, that it's another thing that I personally try to play a part of in the world is to try to remove some of the shame off the top mm-hmm. of this disease, you know, because and that's, I think, you go back one generation and families were so ashamed of the alcoholic in their family that they're not telling you about that. Right. You know, and, uh, well, and, and not that it would really change anything, but I have told my kids, mm-hmm. look, uh, here's what I got. Right. And being that you're my kid, there's a really good chance you do you, too. Right. And at some point you're going to pick up that Russian roulette pistol because at some point somebody's going to offer you a toke or a drink or whatever. And you're going to have to make some decisions in your life about yeah. uh, where that might take you and what you're going to do with that. And, and I want, you know, we say we're properly armed with the facts. Right. Uh, I try to get my kids and, and whether if it helps or not, who knows, right? But at least I'll feel okay. I told you. <laughs> and what, well, what's super beautiful about that, because if that does happen, at least, at least they've seen your, you transform your life. Right. And they yeah. know that there's yeah. an answer and yeah. a solution that seed today. has been planted, as we talked right. about right before. It's been planted as early as I could possibly plant it. They can't stand around and say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. You know, they know that there's a solution today and they see it working in your life. Because I think that about my kids, too. I'm like, man, my kids are doomed. You yeah. know what I mean? Because both of us. I try real hard not to put that on people. And <laughs> yeah. I really try. But also, when I hear somebody say that, I try to say, ha, ha, ha. yeah, not necessarily, not necessarily. Uh, and let's not, you know, darn, there seems like a bunch of life that is manifested by my thought life. Mm-hmm. And so let's just not put that out in the universe. Right. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, yep. And, you know, it doesn't help either way. So, right. uh, but I, I know what you mean. And, you know, my kids, if I was going to tell the truth, I, th- I would have actually thought that uh, it'd be the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son is a mini me. And I've seen so much of that in him, you know, and, but I think he's listened. Now, I don't know, but I think he's listened. And I think that, uh, some of what I've told him, cause I know there's been a couple of times when I've said, you know, where's so-and-so at? I ain't seen him in a while. One of his buddies. Mm-hmm. And he told me, he said, well, all he does is smoke pot anymore. So, yeah. and he's not around he's anymore, not around you know? Him. And I'm like, mm, yeah, cool. Now my daughter, on the other hand, uh, but she's on, you know, we've had a relationship where, uh, by all accounts, she seems to be honest about it, you know, so she's dappled in some smoking pot already and, mm. and, you know, but, but I know about it. I yeah. feel a whole lot better knowing there's been honesty in it. And, you know, and the bottom line is I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know if that stuff's a problem. It's a problem for me and it's a problem for some people, but, uh, yeah, that raising the kids thing, uh, if there's ever anything in the world that 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 will allow you to get a grip around powerlessness, it's your kids. It's raising that kids. That's an accurate statement. Yes. Uh, it, it 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 hit home, and, I, and I'm glad, you know, because it's not my, you know, 
I play guardrails. Yeah. I try to be a pair of guardrails and hope that they don't run too far off the road, but uh, but I gotta let them have their journey. Yeah. Yep. And and do their thing. They gotta and, make their own mistakes. Uh, and grow some from power greater to me has helped me and kept me inside the rails lately. I just am um, uh, uh, trustful that it's doing the same thing with my kids. When did you remember when you had your first drink or drug, or do you have that kind yeah, of memory? Yeah, so on I a, remember. Um, well, just to start off, I just remember. Um, like growing up, I was never comfortable in my own skin. Like yep. they say, even way before the drink or the drug, just in my youth, I was just never comfortable in, in my own skin. And I was always searching for something to change the way that I felt. Yep. And um, I think I was 14, maybe 15. Um, and I was always really good at making friends. I guess um, I would consider popular, as they say. Um, I was a cheerleader in elementary school. Um, so I always had like, groups of friends, different groups of friends, but I was like a chameleon, right? I could fit in. I could be whatever they wanted me to be. If this group wanted me to that be this person, I could be that person. If that group wanted me to be something different, I could be something different. And that's how I was. Um, and I'll never forget, like, once I took, I was, I think I was a sophomore in high school. So however old you are when you're a sophomore in high school, 15, I think. Um, and I, I could just never turn the noise in my head off. And if you could turn it off, I didn't know where the hell the switch was. You know what I mean? And I just remember taking that first drink and it was quiet. Like I didn't have to hear that noise in between my ears anymore. Um, and I essentially chased that well into my adult life. Cause after that I could be who I could be who I wanted to be. And it didn't matter what anyone else thought, you know, and it yeah. like freed me from having to feel like I had to fit in with each individual group. And so I carried that. I mean, I, I'm not even sure from that point on if I, like, on the weekend. I mean, granted, like, it was like a weekend thing for a long time, I guess, in high school or whatever. But I don't even know if I, I haven't been sober since, yeah. you know, yep. essentially. Same thing here, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was like I was I, just off and running. It was like a golden key, you know. I mm -hmm. thought I found the solution. You right. Know, like, hey, hold on. Now I'm okay. Mm -hmm. uh, now I know what to do to be okay. Right. And, and I always talk about bell ringers in here because people, there's, there's a lot of, you know, you hear a lot of common phrases out of people and that thing about being, a, not being comfortable in your own skin is a bell ringer. Right. And then that chameleon role or, you know, the masks, mm -hmm. the, the, another, you know, if I, I, I doubt there's two podcasts out of the couple hundred there were people didn't say that, say those yeah. things. So, you know, there are some, uh, definite, uh, you know, those, those, similar traits that all of us seem to have and i just remember like you know my first couple like when i when i remember hearing somebody share in like one of the first aa or na meetings i ever went to and they said that and like that's when i was able to like identify with someone yeah. i'm like oh my gosh that's exactly how i felt at 15 you know so um that was a game changer yeah. for me too early on so the do you have a first drink story or like do you remember yeah i mean i was in um i was with a bunch of girls um in my and it was a girlfriend of mine i we, you know, I went to Catholic all-girls school in Louisville, Assumption, and we were just, it was a bunch of girls, and we were sitting around, and we were drinking vodka out of the, out of the leader, chasing it with Kool-Aid. 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 Tropical Punch Kool-Aid. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever look at it the same. You know, um, I, beer was yep. normal. I, you know, my folks drank beer, and their friends did, and everything, and, you know, I would take, you'd get those little kid drinks, you know, once yeah. in a while, or, you know, uh, drink the foam off the top of it, you know. But my first time I got drunk is certainly echoed in my mind. And there's something that played over and over again as I did different things in my life. It's that as that as that event happened, 
there was a nudge inside me telling me, you probably ought not do this. Yeah. You know, but I overrode that from peer pressure and, you know, I'm not going to tell these people I'm with, no, everybody else is doing mm-hmm. it. But there have been a number of times in my life where I've been sitting getting ready to do something new or as my disease progressed and I'm going to try a new substance. Right. Then I'm thinking that deep inside I was getting that nudge saying, Dan, no, you, you shouldn't do that. Yep. And, man, I'd override it almost every time. Every time. I think I can actually use that in my life today. Now listen to that nudge when it says, Dan, don't do that. <laughs> I go, Okay. That, 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 yeah, that voice is actually there for a reason. Yeah. Yep. God talking to you. Yeah. And those, you know, and, and Bill talks about in the book and most of the things is that, you know, we start off where it was, you know, what, and, and the frequencies are gone. If I could like lay out a story, I always talk about in here that the, my, my chronology, my timeline, mm-hmm. I, it doesn't work. Yeah. I can't go back and, and piece it back together. Uh, but from that time of, you know, the occasional, course you're a teenager so it's not like you can drink every night right and uh you know frankly for me you know i could get pot easier and i could get beer the the the, the dope man didn't check my id yeah uh, <laughs> right and, and right uh so i you know i monkey around with doing doing it here and there but like over time the world collapsed on me you know it went from you know a saturday night here and there to every weekend every weekend to adding thursday to mm-hmm. add in Sunday, to add in Wednesday, and before long, I'm 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 messed up every day, mm-hmm. and that that becomes my life, you know. And, yeah. Uh, you know, if I didn't drink, it was because I was really really sick. Yeah. Uh, I remember with the whole um, you, you brought up smoking pot. Like I, I I remember being you know in my teens, and I hated smoking pot. Like I did not like the way that it made me feel, mm-hmm. but it still changed the way that I felt. Right, which is better than me not feeling anything at all. Yeah. So I would still got like, some pot. I'll smoke it. Yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? So um, that's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah. I became a daily pot smoker for years and years and years and years. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like a nicotine habit. It was every day, multiple times a day. Yeah. And then I hit a wall where I couldn't. It, it didn't allow me to drink the way that I wanted to. You know, it started being where, you know, I, once I smoked some dope, my, my, my party was over. Yeah. Uh, I could do it as a nightcap last thing at night, but. Uh, I certainly didn't do it at 8 p.m. on a on the beginning on the front end of a of a what's hopefully going to be a fun night. And I feel like you know, looking back now, like you know, something had. I think I was maybe 16, 17. I was a lifeguard at the time, so I mean, I would get off work after you know being a lifeguard all day at the pool and smoke pot with this guy that worked um, where I was working. I remember one time it was laced with something. And I feel like, and I will never forget, like, being just, like, terrified of that mm. feeling and never wanting to feel it again and, like, being super sick for hours. But then then the next day I was right back at it. Yeah. You know, like, it had never happened. But. Did you get any trouble in school? How was your grades? What'd no, you- um, I was always really, I did really, really well in school. Um, A's, B's. Um, in high school, I graduated pretty close to the top of my class, wow. yeah. um, 3.8 or 9, if yeah. I remember right. Um, so I always excelled at school. Yeah. So I was one I of those, you know, alcoholic addicts that, 
Yeah, because you can still do, you know, I think about youth, you know, about how you used to be able to run and, and do things. And, you know, as I got older, the, the old body wasn't made, wasn't able to handle those levels like they used to. Like I said, I was a lifeguard. And yeah. so I used to have to be at work at 6 a.m. And then I worked at a bakery, had to be at work at 6 a.m. And I could stay up and party all night long right, and just yeah. go to work. Yeah, get like up it tomorrow and do it yeah. again. <laughs> just do yeah. it all over again. got to be again. where I needed days to recover at yep. certain points in my life. The... Uh, I learned that uh, I, the good grades was really good camouflage because mm-hmm. if my mom, Absolutely. if I got good grades, man, they did not keep an eye on me like yep. I like they did when I wasn't doing well in school. So, right. you know, uh, they just, the microscope wasn't on me as long as I got good grades and I, and I, well, that's easy enough to do. Yeah. Uh, that keeps the fire off of me. I'll, I'll do that. So yeah. I got decent grades myself, but um, I know there were some, it wasn't because I wanted to get good grades. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always did really well in school. Um, I read something you, you brought up about, and my, you know, growing up, I always thought my mom was super strict. And I guess, I mean, she kind of, she kind of was, which, but then again, it's my perception, right? I mean, I think I just have our, our personalities have just clashed from, you know, like the very beginning. And um, my family seems to have like a lot of controlling people. Um, throughout, like my grandma was controlling my mom and all you know it's just the things that we want to control have control over swing that over in front of you just a little more what closer just more in front. Um, it's kind of directional doesn't necessarily have to be closer it's even better but oh, it's like okay in, um in the well way. i was just thinking about as a kid what was i i was a i was a junior and like going on spring break doing you know doing the things that you do as a kid um in in high school and like i said i went I've said it a, a million times and I don't know why I keep like falling on this, I guess, because like Catholic school is so structured and all that. But we went on spring break and I just partied all week with my friends and I just decided I wasn't going to come home when my plane left. I was 16, 17 years old. And I'm just going to stay in Florida for an extra day or two. Like didn't even think about the consequences of my behavior. Um, I just didn't get on the plane, just didn't get on the plane and just hung out for like two more days. And then told my mom that, like, I think I told her that the flight had been changed or something. And I was riding back with, like, my girlfriend and just, like, some guys that we used to run around with in high school. And then the car broke down on the way back. We're, like, in Alabama. And then we were stuck for, like, another three days. Mm. So that was a mess having to call my mom. I'm not going to be going. Like, I missed, like, four days of school and just thinking that that was okay behavior. And it just wasn't. Yeah. Shit happens. Yeah, it was funny though. I mean, that wasn't really funny, but just like those things that that young, that should have been like eye-opening experiences, just it just kept on going. Yep, I got in trouble with the law a bunch, you know, and a normal person probably would have identified that as being a problem. But all I did was try to get better at it and not get caught, (laughs) you know. Uh, Yeah, they were sending me to AA meetings when I was in when I was sixteen years old, and. you know, and I look at it now, you know, I was, that was that early seed plant and somebody did for me that some judge did for me, you know. So later on down the years, uh, I'd at least have some exposure because I bet he knew right. better than I did where I was heading if I kept that up. Yeah. Periods of sobriety, you know, get your tail feathers on fire and then hold down the fort and not do anything bad for some period of time, right. year, six months, whatever it was, until the until the trouble had blown over. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, slowly creep right back to where I was, except for worse, usually. Yeah. Um, 
So you graduated high school, good. Graduated well. high school, um, went to college for my first time. Um, again, I was just able to go to school. I made good, good grades. Um, did you go out of town or did you? I went to IUS. Okay. Um, gra- again, graduated top of my class. Um, and by all accounts, like, I, I didn't, and, you know, being even like before I turned 21, like drink, I always had the fake IDs and, you know, mm-hmm. at this time I had probably done, you know, and every time I, I just remember like looking back now, I would have these groups of friends, right? And if they didn't party like the way I partied, I would find another group of friends that, that did. And that's like the yep. story of my life. Graduate you know? beyond there. Yeah. Yep. If, I mean, if they Same would tell here. me that, oh my gosh, like. So you need to slow down. That was it. I yeah. just move on find, to the next set. And try a new like to party the way I did. Yep, um, and that's what I did for years. But like you brought it up, I mean, and just making good grades and making everything appear as it should on the surface kept me sick for a long, long mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Because um, I went to school and I got my first degree. Um, I got a business degree in marketing. Um, like doing crazy stuff. Like, like do like I mean doing meth on the weekends and like doing it before I went to school, like just crazy stuff like that. Cocaine, you know what I mean? But I, I would do that and go to school and ace, ace my test. Uh, yeah. And that made it okay in my head. Um, and not that it would be every day, but that's just the kind of stuff I would do. Yeah. That stuff. Yeah. That's performance enhancing. Right. <laughs> right. I could stay up all night and study and, um, things of that nature. So, yeah, that's all no but then ba- back it. then I could still always put it down. Right. You know, so, and then I guess you get to the point to where you cross that line and you can't put it down anymore. Yeah. You come to rely upon it. Yeah. I would go through different, had different, I remember having different phases where, you know, there was a piece of time where I was doing a lot of cocaine. Yeah. And then, and then I stopped that and was just kind of, and I would kind of pat myself on the back because I stopped. But then I started doing meth. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then, you know, and I, and I would bounce around like that and, uh, and, and just switch substances. And I yep. think I actually think most of it was due to a, partly a who I was running around with right. and what they had, yep, what was available, and then just what was generally available right. in the environment. You know, just um, it seemed I don't know. It seems that there was things that swing through life, yeah, and you know it wouldn't have made any difference what it was. Uh, I was going to do some of it. Yep. It was just whatever happened to be available uh-huh. and who I knew or I could buy knew. what from. The easiest to get. Um, I didn't even know I did meth the first time I did it. I thought it was a line of coke. Yeah. I was told, uh, somebody said, hey, you want to do a line? <laughs> yes. I think I had a similar experience. And then, yeah. Uh, uh, it's, or I was told it was just like it. Yeah, I wasn't I mean? told anything. And I was jerked yep. into a bathroom at Huey, Bar's down, Huey Burr's oh, yeah. bar down here in New Albany into the women's bathroom by some gal. <laughs> and she cut out a line on the toilet tank or a couple lines on the toilet tank. And we bent over and made them go away and went back out to party and then i was like hold on this was uh that was well first off it didn't taste you know yeah like what i'm used to and uh and of course it affected me quite differently also and it was the next day and i was like the hell was that (laughs) to another buddy yeah the guy who i went with and of course then they called it crank it was or crystal. Yeah, back yeah. then it was crank, and then yeah. so I was like, "Well, hey, where do you get some more of that?" Yeah, uh, <laughs> that worked really well last night. I didn't go to sleep until the sun come up. Right. Give me some more. Yeah. Um. So how did things progress for you? How did uh, life 
So, I mean, from that point on, I mean, I essentially, I, gra- I graduated college, um, did the things that you're supposed to do, like get a job. Um, so I did those things. And the, I, I guess this is kind of where the unmanageability kind of starts sitting in because I had a hard time, like, fitting in with the job. I kept having to, like, change jobs. And um, it was, you know, a lot of it was wrapped around my addiction. And, like, I started to get to the point to where I couldn't get to work on time or I would be late. Or I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to stay all day because I needed a substance to put in my body. Um, and I guess I now, like, that I didn't know it was unmanageability then. Right. I thought yeah. it was just like being young and like still trying to figure myself out. Yeah. Um, so much of this is seen in I, the rearview mirror, yeah. You know, but now I, I see it now that I that I understand. Um, I met, I guess, I guess I, at this point, like right after I graduated college, I met my husband now is when I met Travis and he partied just like I did. Um, and it, you know, it was like one of those things. It was like an instant connection. Um, you know, we were very codependent from the very beginning. Um, but we had a lot of fun together a lot. Um, but we were both just super sick, yep. <laughs> you know. Um, it's one of the problems with this stuff, man. Cause yeah. Because it, when it's working, it, you know, I had a ton of fun. fun. And it was yeah. fun until it wasn't And anymore. then all of a sudden it wasn't. And um, just super codependent. And, I mean, I'm not going to say toxic from the very beginning because we had a lot of fun. And I think we, we loved hard and we fought hard and we played hard. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's all fun and games. And then all of a sudden it's not you know so like we you know when you get so hammered like that you you start clashing you know you start butting heads and you know things slowly started to get to get bad and we would break up get back together break up get back together but our behaviors you know to just to hurt the other one started like really early on even you know way before we even had had kids but um you know so and then we would break up, get back together, and then I, I ended up pregnant with my with my daughter that I have now. I remember I was like I lived with my girlfriend Megan at the time, and I was like terrified, like not knowing what to do, you know. Um, and I feel like at that at that time it it saved me because when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was able to put it all down. I I stopped cold cold turkey. Um, yeah, that's it, a touchy question from my side of the microphone. I always wonder about that, but uh, yeah, well, um, some do and some don't. Some do and some don't. Then, then I could. Um, so, but it was. I'm trying to say, was she was born in 2007? So, but I didn't. You know, it was like right when the economy crashed too. So I ended up losing my job, and I was like six months pregnant. They mm. wanted me to either move to Chicago or lose my job, and here I was, like four. Maybe I was like four or five months pregnant. And I essentially lost my job. Um, so that was so that was super scary because at, at this time, Travis and I weren't even together anymore. Her mm-hmm. husband and I weren't even together anymore. Um, so that was like, a, that was a hard life experience, yeah. I guess, to be unemployed, to be pregnant, and to not even know if the father's going to be around because that's essentially how, how I felt. Um, but, you know, I made it through. And he was always, um, came to the doctor's appointments and all that, but like, I was able at that point in time to put it down. He couldn't, but we were in our twenties. Yep. You know what I mean? So, yep. Same, yeah, I, I didn't quite understand why I needed to put it down when she was right. pregnant. Why well, would you're you? the one yeah. pregnant? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. From 
that point, I mean, I ended up having my daughter, um, you know, and it was like one of the hardest things I've ever been through because, you know, I, I thought I was like turning my life around, putting it down. And he, at this point, um, was dating someone else. I'm living with someone else. Mm. Um, and I just, it, it was so hard. I just remember, like, the pain, you know. It was, like, extremely hard. Because I still loved him, right? Um, and I still, like, wanted to, you know, you when you're in that situation, like, all you want is, like, the picture-perfect family. Right. Um, so, like, having to walk through that pain um, was very difficult. But, you know, he suited up and showed up as a dad. Um, and I still feel like... Um, Sorry, I'm gonna cry. Um, having to like relive that. He he suited up and showed up as a dad, and we started to slowly be able to work things out because I still loved him. I wasn't gonna give up. Um, and not too long after I had my daughter, I want to say she. So my our kids are fourteen months apart. So when she was nine months old, the other girl that he lived with ended up pregnant. So I have a a stepdaughter who's in between my two kids. But it's just, that's just like the kind of life that, that we live, the unmanageability on, on both ends. Um, yeah. Um, as you know, Travis was here, so I've heard, yeah, you've you heard. Know, <laughs> the other side of, uh, yeah. of, of that and how he uh, felt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, we get we get ourselves in some pretty tough positions. That's another thing that happens when that that seems to come along with that lifestyle. But you know, I, I question whether if that stuff you know it comes along without that lifestyle too. Right. You know, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day. You know, and and he he he's not ready for this. He's not ready to get clean yet, but he is coming to the realization that most of the crap he gets into happens while he's inebriated. <laughs> You know, yep. but you want to like think it's like a fluke, you know, that's just, that's just luck. And uh, it's like, well, you know, uh, it's probably not, mm. it's probably really the way, way it's going. Uh, I think, you know, we're, we're programmed to like, once you're pregnant with somebody's child, mm. I would, you know, I think there's something beyond that's another powerlessness thing that you're no matter what you would be wanting that to be together. Right. Uh, there's something in our core because I think that you know all these rules I didn't believe in these old fashioned rules these old people used to tell me when I was young like uh, don't live together until you're married yeah uh, don't have sex until you're married <laughs> uh, you know a child should have a a, a two parent family uh, these old wives tales yeah. you know the older I get I'm like well god damn it mm-hmm. they were right <laughs> Those probably are good ideas. You know, I don't say they're rules, but probably some pretty good guidelines. Uh, I didn't follow them either. Right. I thought, just like when I came to AA, I thought that there's, you know, those rules might be for somebody. Uh, <laughs> probably good for you, but I'm a little different. Yeah. Uh, I can get by without that. So you all weren't married when you had your first no. child, nor when the... Uh, no, Travis's and, second child came no, along. No, and I remember him telling me that um, she was pregnant, and that was like I think I, I went a couple months without talking to him. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, nah, that's it, no more. You know, 
Um, and I, he wrote, I just, he would like write, write me letters. Like, I really want this to work. You know, I really love you, blah, blah, you know, all of the things. And ev- eventually I caved in, you know what I mean? And we started seeing each other again. Um, and we started to work it out. And then I had to go through the whole process of dealing and processing the feelings of her being pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially he did to her what he had done to me. You know what I mean? So it was like, I got to see, it was like a flip flop, um, Almost. And I was so, like, look at, again, looking back, like, I'm, you know, during, like, it was, I was trying to pay her back because of all the pain, the pain that I had to go through with him being with her. When I was pregnant, it, it had it just, it was like the reverse. And I was okay with that because I was vengeful, right? Like, right. I wanted her to hurt like I had to hurt. The power of resentment. Yep. Yep. Um, but we did. We ended up, we worked through all that. Um, it took years, even years after being married, it, you know, it still pops up. It, well, it's still not, not, not necessarily anymore, but it popped up, you know, a few years even into our marriage. Yeah. Um, cause I could never really let that go. I didn't have a program like I have today to be able to let that go. I mean, I harbored that resentment and used it against him for years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, get those. So I was like, yeah. these cards, this deck of cards we have in our back pockets, you know, and anytime I can play that card on your ass, I'm right. going to. Right. I'm out. going to. S- see exactly right here? what I did. See Don't you remember you did? you did this to me? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, and anytime, you know, I would just always use it against him. Anytime I would make a mistake or fuck up or whatever you want to call it, like. Yeah. You know, you you deserve this. You know, yeah. and I you did know, that flip for side of it, they're over there going. She keeps beating me over the head with this. Yeah, what we do. So, uh, you know, stereotypical. But no, I mean, we eventually got married. Um, still we, using. Still using. Yeah, I remember. I don't even remember walking down the aisle. Well, we got married in Siesta Key on the beach, and like we weren't in, really into like hard hard drugs at at this point in our life because we had we had a daughter, um, but. I remember, I don't even remember walking down the aisle, hmm. which was on the beach, whatever yeah. you want to call it, Owl Beach. Um, I yeah, really don't. wedding is a fog. Yeah, it's a complete blur. Um, I remember we got in a bad fight the night of our marriage, yeah. the night that we got married. Um, my sister had this friend named Justin, and I can't remember, like, what happened if we, if he was trying to call, like, because we, there was a, a guy named Justin that was in Florida with us, and it was one of Travis's friends, and he, at one point, we were, like, all wasted out of the bars, and so I'm, I'm in my wedding dress, like, just out of the bars, like, it's no big deal, and uh, he had tried to call his friend Justin and called a different Justin in my phone, and the different Justin called back, and it caused this big fight. On our, this yeah, who, 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 who are, you know, something like that along those lines. You called him. <laughs> He's like, you called me, you know what I mean? The guy was just calling back, and I don't know. I don't even really remember the extent of it. I just remember fighting. Yeah. Um, that is how it was. Yep, short wicks, man. Yep. Uh, it's like almost just waiting for a fight, you know. Uh, doesn't make any sense anymore, but. Yeah. Uh, hell yeah. I'd love to have opportunity to uh, <laughs> knock you around if yeah. I had it. We were like, at, you know, gasoline and fire, you know, when we would drink. It was just a matter of time if whether or not we were going to explode or not. Yeah. So, um, but had yeah. He already, had the other girl had the baby when y'all yes. were married? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So at this point, so I see Jalen was almost three when we got married. So Dylan would have been one. Yeah. Uh, so she had already had the baby. Yep. 
So now you got to figure out how to navigate this. Yeah. With, uh, and the, oh, in the middle of all this, one I'm and in, a half kids. Yeah. So to speak. And I'm in nursing school too. Um, like I, I ended up going back to school to get a second degree. Um, I was accepted into an accelerated BSN program. So I got my bachelor's of science in nursing yeah, in you do 18 that? months. Huh? Where'd you do that? Um, UofL. So I went to school full, full time. Um, was it because of a change of, uh, you know, look, I don't like this. So I'm going to look for something new. Yeah, to do pretty or... much. Again, I couldn't find a place to fit in. Um, the market had, you know, like, in the business world had crashed. It was really hard for me to find a job. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just going to go back to school. I'm always looking for something, you know, What's something next? else. What's next? What's yep. next? Because what I have ain't working. Yep. It's not working. Or you know, I never realized I was the or... problem or, you know. Yeah. Um, you see like some lifetime students, you know, that they go get yeah, some and they can't... degree, you know, and they do that for a minute and they change their minds. And, I feel like that's me. Yeah. Like I'm, you know. But yeah, I mean, yeah, lifetime student can be a good thing in one respect, but yeah. uh, sooner or later you kind of need to settle on something. But again, again with the whole Maybe. school thing, I did really, really well in school. But, you know, with the whole time having like, at, at this point in my life, I think we were, you know, the pills, you know, Adderall, Oxycontin, you know, on all the opiate pills. Yeah. You know what I mean? With like yeah. a raging habit. And I, again, I could study, go to school kill it in school yeah. you know yep get all those ones that keep you rolling yeah uh, instant hangover killers in the morning you yep. know pop a few oxys or whatever or whatever you have to have to you pain pills and back I can keep you work. well yep feel like shit waking up in the morning but i can get to work and by the time i get there it'll set in right and i'll be okay right and then just spend the day waiting until you get off so that you can get the next one mm-hmm um, so yeah, from there, let's see, I, I mean, eventually I graduated nursing school. Um, I remember <clears throat> like struggling for a few days cause I started interviewing and I got a job at the university of past the NCLEX, um, got a job offer from the university of Louisville hospital. And of course I had to take a drug test and having mm. to detox myself for, you know, four days before I went and took this drug test, you know what I mean? And just feel, I mean, I, I did it, you know? Um, but I remember that was like the first time I had to put it down and I started getting sick, you know? Um, I didn't feel good. Yeah. You know, and I, I had never really given myself like that much opportunity to go that, that long and to know like what was actual withdrawal feels like. Yeah. I felt it for the first time. First time that I felt it, I definitely was telling myself it was something else. Yeah. You know, yeah. it wasn't that, uh, I started getting the feeling of that. So it was, you know, and that's, uh, oh, I think about the things that I've studied, you know, and getting where I print me out a chart on just how fast what would get out of my system. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Did and all that pot, research. Left, I was really glad I quit smoking pot because that shit hangs around a long yeah. time. Yeah, I never uh, liked it, so I never had yeah. to, but I did the same With thing. The opiates and stuff, I passed those on four days plenty of times. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like, again, in my in my brain and my warped thinking i didn't think i was doing any hard drugs right like i wasn't doing the meth anymore i wasn't doing the cocaine anymore i wasn't doing like the bar type drugs anymore i was yeah. like doing pills in my house studying taking care of my family and so i made that all out to be okay yeah. the pharmaceuticals are easy to justify yep so uh that, i just remember that was like the first time i felt really really sick coming coming off something um so yeah but Essentially, I passed my drug screen. I got the job. <laughs> um, 
you know, and then I was, I worked night shift in the SICU at, at University Louisville Hospital. Like, I guess it was, how long did I work there? I guess about a year. And um, I got to the point there to where I was in the ICU, passing all kinds of meds, pharmaceutical meds. Um, I got to the point to where I started to want to steal those meds, right? Like, you hear all these horror stories about nurses. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I had heard enough of them, you know what I mean? Um, and there was like a nudge in me that was like, you need to get out of here before you do something stupid. Yeah, like we was talking earlier. Yeah, like, hey, that, that nudge. You really yeah. shouldn't be doing that. You don't that. need to be doing this. And my brain started to take me crazy places, you know. So I did. I started looking for another job. Um, and I found one pretty, pretty quick. Um, with a company who um, was a day treatment for medically fragile kids, and they um, they owned and operate like these daycare centers, essentially, um, where the kids get nursing care provided throughout the day. So, like kids who need, you know, like nur- nursing care that can't go to like a normal daycare, they yeah. go to these, and it's funded by Medicaid. Hmm. Um, and they took an interest in me because I had both a business degree, and then I was also a nurse. Um, so I that I, I switched jobs and I went there and I actually stayed there for quite some time and I moved up there really really quick. Um, and those risks weren't at yeah. that present at that job, right? Um, and so you know, at that point in time, I guess I was able to you know there for a few years. I could manage. I managed my life and my addiction pretty pretty well. I mean, I guess we did as a family, really. Yeah. Both of us. Um, it didn't take off. It just kind of stayed. We just stayed. What we did, what we had to do to stay well, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I um, excelled in that company pretty quick, um, and became a director of nursing for one of the centers. Um, There's like five of them total. One of the centers in Louisville, um, you know. And I, you know, the thing about that job was like it gave me purpose. Um, it was something that was mine that I didn't have to like share with anybody else. And I was really good at it. And there was a lot of value in what I did for work. Um, I felt like I made a difference in yeah, the lives right. of these kids. Right. Um, they, they think that's an essential thing in our core that uh, I believe today that, that there is, uh, a core, there's a core, a piece of everybody that needs to be helping people. Right. Right. Not, you know, needs to be feeling like they're doing some good in the world. Um, so, but, you know, again, like, you know, our home life was like trying to stay well. You know what I mean? The whole back and forth. Exhausting. Um, yeah, it was. Um, we decided to have another kid. So we, I, I got pregnant with my son. Um, kind of in the middle. I can't remember how much, how many months pregnant I was when. Maybe six, but um, I'm sure you've heard Travis was hit hit by a train, <laughs> essentially. Um, yep. I can't remember if he was going to work or going to hunt, or maybe going to hunt in a work truck. I think is is how it. Yeah, I think he was in a work it, truck. I can't work remember. Work truck. Where I think he, he was, was going, going to hunt, in it, but he was driving his work truck. Um, was there any thoughts on the second kid, like uh, that being something that would like you know fix you? Oh, absolutely. You know, are you all uh, that probably? went through my head? Because I remember when we have, you know, I was like, well, you know. Just to myself, right? Well, I'll have this. We'll have this baby, and I'll, I'll, I'll get my ducks in a row. Right. That'll, that'll, oh, yeah. that'll make me That's get my ducks fix in a row. Yep. Yeah, and, and you know, he he was he was planned, like you know, to play, be able to plan something, and that when you're like living in madness, is is crazy. But yeah, 
I had I had those thoughts a lot. He was gonna be able to fix it all. Yeah. So always are looking for that solution over there, thinking this a new job will do it. A new Right. It's gonna fix yep. We'll get married, we'll buy a house, we'll have a kid, we'll Right. No matter where I go, there I am. So Travis got hit by this train. Yes. You can hear and that in his story, his side of this story and his side of it. This will be kind of cool. So I, I remember, uh, story. I think my phone was in the kitchen charging or something. And so this is like at five in the morning, right? And so I guess he had been caught, like, essentially he was, and, and you, you're familiar with Georgetown, um, right there, kind of by the drive-in and stuff where there's. You know, you got the train tracks going in both directions. And th- this is one of the only places in Georgetown, like, where there's there's arms and lights and stuff. But most of the the train crossings in Georgetown don't even have that, right? right? Yep. But, like, these conductors, they sit there and they stop the train and they go to these gas stations and get snacks and whatever yep. it is and that, waiting that they do. And they're because they can't pass in the and tunnel. And they can't, right. So they're staging and waiting they sit, for the other So they're train. always sitting. It's just, I mean, it's just how it is, you know. And I, Yep. I've had I've gone around them and in front of them and whatever because you think that they're stopped and apparently he thought that they were stopped and the train was not stopped and um, I think him being in a work van was the only thing that saved his life really um, but so he's hit by this train right and people hear like oh my god you know and he like just walks away from the accident like nothing not that nothing ever happened I mean banged him up knocked the shoes off his feet busted his face up um ems came the police came all the people came and he still did not go to the hospital like he had pretty much i'm okay i'm okay i'm walked away from it and um there's like a car there's a mechanic place like right across the street right there and he's like he's seen it happen i guess in the 20 years he's been there he's seen it happen five or six times and that was the only time somebody lived to tell the story um but again, it was just another, you know, then the pain pills came in. It was just, it just, it just fueled the addiction even more. Um, I used to like it when I got hurt. Yeah. And I got hurt a lot. And I wonder about how well the disease played a role in my injury sometimes. Right. That I was not looking to get hurt so that that would provide me with a script that, uh, that the disease wanted. Yeah. But I remember him coming home um, from that and then being like, I got something to tell you. And I was like you know, asleep, and he's like, I'm like, what? And he's, like, all shaken up, and it was dark, so I couldn't see, like, what he looked like, um, and uh, I'm like, did you hurt somebody, or did you, what happened? I'm like, did you hit a deer, was my first thought, that he hit a deer. He's like, no. I'm like, did you get in a wreck? I'm like, what? He's like, I was hit by a train, and I was like, what? You know, and I look at him, and he's, like, busted up, bleeding everywhere. I'm like, you gotta go to the hospital or something. No, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Uh, it, it beat him up pretty bad. But he's seen every, I think he went to the doctor to the emergency room the next day, and they were told him he had to wait a couple hours for X-rays, and he was like, "No, I'm out. <laughs> I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time for it." Yeah, but yeah, um, kind of a little uh, metaphor for how life was going. It truly was getting to be a train wreck, it, <laughs> right? Yep. Um. So I mean, with that being said, like. And my, my son was born. He ended up, um, he was actually born seven weeks early. Um, that was scary. My water broke. And I remember, like, waking up thinking I'd be the bed or something. 
and I like I'm like something I'm like I'll wake up and I'm like Travis I need the bed and then it dawned on me that I was pregnant and I'm like oh my god my water broke you know was. what I mean that's exactly what that was and I'm like it's too soon it's too soon I just remember thinking about it. it's too soon it's too soon anyways we did we, we went to the hospital um and then they put me on bed rest they stopped they stopped everything they stopped the labor or whatever um and I laid there and I remember like at this point like I'm not gonna like I had I was I'm not gonna sit there and say I I, I, I was sober um, because I wasn't I wasn't using to the extent that he was but I was still using I was still mm-hmm. dabbling in the pills here and there and because they were pers- it was pharmaceuticals and because it was prescribed I justified it in my head and I remember at the job I was working at at the time there was a it was like the big push and the big movement um, for babies being more chemically dependent mm-hmm. right and so we would do like a lot of research on like interventions and methods to treat the kids because we were starting to see an influx of them at our centers but essentially I was kind of doing the same thing um not to the extent of where um you know but I I would think like this is okay because it's prescribed and I can put it down and it's not that bad I've got two I've got three more months till he's born I can quit before then and I would tell myself that you know and I would it was just insanity like what I was doing um and, but I still, I justified it and made it okay. And then when he came early, like, all that guilt, shame, and remorse came flooding in. Like, this is my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I caused this, you know. Um, and, you know, I don't know. Um, may, maybe it was my fault. Maybe it wasn't. Um, you know, I laid there for a week on bed rest with a big monitor on my stomach having to, like, process that. And meanwhile, my husband still, and it's not his fault, you know what I mean, but he would come in there high, like falling out with, with the doctor in there, you know, so all those resentments started building up, but it was just like, it was, I mean, it was just our disease. Um, but I mean, my son was born. He, so I, you know, and, and in that week, maybe I detox, maybe he, de- like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, a lot going on, but he was born with a genetic defect. Um, you know, so that kind of relieved some of the pressure, like that, that it was my fault. Um, what else was there? Um, I mean, he was, they said that I had a heart shaped uterus and that I was lucky to, that I was ever even able to have kids. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that my daughter wasn't born the same way that he was, was like a miracle too. You know what I mean? So I guess that relieved some of the guilt that I was feeling, but I still feel like that, that it was my fault. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, because I wasn't a hundred percent sober as you should when you're carrying a child, yep. you know? Um, and after that, like having to leave him there. So, I mean, eventually the risk for infection overcomes the risk of pre of him being premature. So uh, they, they kept me in there for a week for that. And then they gave him medicine. So his lungs would develop and then they ended up taking him. Um, and he spent mm, four weeks in the NICU. Um, so, you know, having to come home into like an, an empty nursery, um, you know, all that was super hard. And I had a, there was my second C-section. Um, and, you know, they gave me the pain pills for all that. And I remember I didn't want to have anything to do with them. Oh, really? For like a couple weeks. I didn't, I didn't want to touch it, you know. Um, I did in the hospital, but then the ones that they sent me home with, I'm like, here, just take it, you know. Um, and it, it lasted a couple weeks, you know. Um, you know, and then eventually he comes home and, you know, um, we start, you know, becoming a family, but, you know, essentially for his first, 
year of life, we were in and out of the emergency room once a month. Respiratory distress, you know, I, he had reactive airway disease, so his breathing wasn't good. He kept aspirating on his own fluids. Mm. Um, he had to have a G a G two place. We had to feed him through a tube until oh, wow. he until he was three. Um, you know, just like all those, he had to have um, PTOT and speech until he was three. You know, but but he's eight now, and he's and he's healthy. You know, he's a boy. You know, ADHD, all that, all the stuff that you have to deal with today. But um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I have a little piece of me that says that every eight-year-old boy in the world has that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't. <laughs> but I remember, you know, like being, like going to the NICU when he was like still in the incubator and stuff and like praying to God and just be like, oh my God, if this is my fault, you know, please just save him. You know, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll stay sober. I'll do whatever it is. You know, I'll do anything. Just make, just make him okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I had similar kind um, like my, that gift of desperation, you know, and they say, um, oh, what is it that they say? Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. Yeah. You know? But, yep. One of my jailhouse type of prayers that to a God I didn't believe in mm-hmm. was when my son was in the uh, NICU. We had him home for one day and he was back in the, back at Cozare the yep. very next day, you know, and, uh, and taking on all that, that this is my fault. Right. You know, it has to be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, she was doing things right and I was not. Right. And, uh, and I remember being in the bathroom praying at the yep. hospital, God, if you will just save him to, to save him, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop yeah. all this, mm-hmm. you know, and then he comes out and he's okay. And I'm right back to right back what at I used it. to do. Yeah. You know, to some extent, you know, my prayer was answered and. I didn't hold up my end of the deal, so therefore, here's more ammunition on that side of where I've crossed this line that God can't possibly trust me. Right. Um, can't have that in my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, again, like the house, the car, the kids, the job, like all the stuff that makes you look good on the outside, um, you know, just kept kept us both sick, really. Um, but, you know, meanwhile, we're both dying on the inside. You know, and eventually, you know, it, it caught up to me. Like, I'm not an, I'm not an alcoholic or drug addict, drug addict yet because I haven't done drugs this way or I haven't done them that way or it's because I'm not using yets. this substance, all the yets. You know, I have a job. I, I got two degrees, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I yeah. can't be, you know, I, you think of an alcoholic or an addict as somebody who lives under a bridge with a holding a paper bag, right. yep. you know. Yep. I held a job for a long time, my house, my mm-hmm. cars, been married, kid, da, da, yeah. people. Alcoholics do not have what I have. Right. So, therefore, I am not one. Right. So, um, but, if, you know, eventually all the yets happened. Um, I lost my job. Uh you know, I had the position, I was the director of nursing um, for that company, and we would have these monthly meetings where all the center directors would come together. And I remember I, I, I was at a meeting and I nodded out during a meeting. Well, the CEO, this is another interesting like twist, the CEO of the company is in recovery. Mm. He has been for 20-something years, and he started, he started the company. And so they kind of knew right away. Um, they came to me and they tried to help me. Um, they sent me to the Morton Center. This was my first rehab type, you know, stint that I that I had done. You know, I wouldn't. I didn't know anything about AA. I didn't know anything about the program or 
re- recovery, rehab, any of that. So, were you able to admit that you knew that? Yeah, that I something's going. That I do have a problem, right? So they came to me, and I did. I admitted yep. it because I think at, at that point in my life, I was tired. I was just, I was tired. Yeah. You know, of putting on to where they catch you, and you're still denying it, right? You know, but I'll just, go through with your little program if that's what I need to do. But I don't have a problem, and right. sometimes that's where you know, yeah, I'm definitely have something here i'm needing to take care of whether if you're actually capable to Doing take it. advantage of it yet or not but um so they came and they tried to help me they sent me the you know and they paid for it all right. yep. um sent me to the morton center paid for it sent me to uh you know the drug and alcohol drug and alcohol addiction specialists all that stuff um but i wasn't i wasn't i wasn't ready um so i did i tried the iop thing and i would just go in high you know what i mean um, and I, during this time, I still kept my job. They they pulled me away from my center and gave me like a desk job, so so to speak. And I remember I went in one morning like an hour late, and they tried to random me there. And um, that's when I was like, you know, I, I broke down, started crying, and they're like, "Look, we want to send you away. We're gonna send send you away. We're gonna save your job." You know, we won't report you to the board because by law, that's technically what they're supposed to do. Right. Um, you know, we're if you can go, if you do this, we won't do the, well, so, you know, all these things. And it was right at the beginning of December. And it was going to be the first Christmas that my son was going to have healthy. Mm. You know, he had his G, his G tube out. He was eating. He was like, you know, back up to par, not as sick as he was for the first couple of years of life. And I was like, I remember going home to Travis and it's like deep down, I wanted him to tell me to go, but still like both of us being wrapped up in the disease, he was like, we're not that bad. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't need to leave for a month. It was like a 30 day treatment program in Alabama. And I was going to be gone during Christmas and mm. new years and all that. You don't need to do that. We're, we're okay. You know what I mean? And so he told me, not that it's his fault, but, you know, he told me not to go, and so I didn't go. Yeah. And then that's when, like, my whole, I lost it. I lost it all. My career, my job, you know, the the one thing they gave me, outside of my family, they gave me purpose and meaning in life was gone. So then that's when it really took off, and things got really, really bad. I got, that's when I got super depressed, isolated, you know, withdrew from my friends, my family, didn't leave the house, didn't get out of bed. Um, all those things. Um, so yeah. You're welcome to cut through the house if you need to mm-hmm. use the restroom or anything. Oh, no, I'm good. Thank you. So yeah. Um, yeah. So that hit around the Christmas time and you had this opportunity when you passed the opportunity, is that what the, why they said, you know, it was a little bit of like, here's your two choices. Right. Uh, yeah. They, they told me you to do, or what the else we don't need be. you anymore. Yeah, that's what and the consequence you picked, would be. I don't need you anymore. I don't need you. Or, I can do this. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not that bad. And the next thing you know, like I got the the Kentucky Board of Nursing's con con contact. Now me. they're turning you. Now in. they're turning it in. Yeah. And it at that point, um, it's like I just I, I it didn't even click in my head that I was losing my career. Everything that I school was hard. Like I, I did well at it, but you know, I'm talking about thousands and thousands of dollars I spent. You know, trying to get an education, and it just, it didn't even matter. You were hitting a flush level on it, and you justified that at some level. What did you, you know, I know that when you go back and try to figure this stuff out, it's nearly impossible, but did you, like, have some kind of, like, plan and thought that 
you know, here's what I will do now? You know, I, I guess because we were so codependent and so wrapped up in each other um, and, like, just the, the, the insanity of the disease, like, his delusional thinking and my delusional thinking together was just bananas. You know what I mean? Because I assume you probably needed your all's, both your income, I'm right. guess, especially with these habits I mean, and he had there. a good job, um, and I had an even better job, you know what I mean? But somehow, in our thinking, we thought that we could just do it make, on one income. We could just do it on one income. Yeah. With and I three can imagine from his end house. of it, too, you know I mean? He don't want you going to, because that's that thing where it shines that light on my disease, right? Yeah. So, you know, and again, that's like I always say in here, you know, this thing is parasitic. Right. It's like a parasite. It hijacks our operating systems and we're not driving anymore. Right. So it's not a somebody's fault, you know, that thing about, like you said, I know it ain't his fault. Uh, and that's the disease is driving him and you. Right. And it's saying uh, she can't go to rehab because that'll shine a light on me. Yeah. And uh, can't be having that. Right. Uh, anything to, to, to not, you know, all that. The, Bill sums it up pretty simply in three words, cutting, baffling, and powerful of how this thing will uh, try and divert you from doing things that will make you better. Make, make you better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember, like, at that point in time, too, like, the whole dynamic of our marriage changed. Um, I guess because, like, you know, like, we were no longer equal. Um, <laughs> so that was, like, super tough. I just feel like that's when things got really bad for us as a, as a couple, yeah, because you know, we now no if you need some money, you got to ask him right, for it. It right. ain't yours no more, right? And, 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 and that's the kind of turn that it takes. Power balance, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, yeah, there was a huge shift, um, which you know it made him sicker in, in one aspect and me sicker in another. Yeah. You know, because I had always been like pretty in, independent and like feeling like I could you know so always support myself addiction or no addiction and then all of a sudden i had to rely on one person not only for money but to get my substances that i needed to keep me well for the day yeah and um it it just it got super ugly super fast um but we did it for a couple years i don't even know how it was hell you know i think that was 2000 the end of 2015 the beginning of 2016 and we didn't go to rehab till 2018 so that was two years we lived like that um just and then, like, the substances got worse. The way that we used the substances got, got worse. The people that we involved in our lives were just, you know, got got worse. Yeah. But still, we still were able to, like, keep the house. And there was car wreck after car wreck. You know what I mean? Just, um, it was just insanity for a long time. But if we could <clears throat> do the drugs that we were doing and take our kids to cheerleading, and that would be okay. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Again, like, on the surface, we could just make it look like it was normal. Everything was okay, but... Yeah. Some of us are amazing, you know, you, not everybody fits that mold, you know, because some people really are, uh, and I'll just use the words that come out, but, you know, just the slobber and drunk kind right. of like out of control and it's like no, no, you can tell they're not taking care of themselves physically, you can tell, you know, and uh, others of us, and I was one of them, you know, I could polish myself up and, right. and look like I'm okay. Uh, right. At least most people thought I was okay and you know I'm slammed here right in front of you but uh yeah but I could pull that crap off at this when I met the scout master for a couple of minutes taking <laughs> yeah. my son to scouts or taking yep. the girls taking the girl to dance, dance or, or yeah and do that and I could hang in there long enough to be able to uh get in and get out without you seeing what a mess I really am mm-hmm. uh anybody that spent any considerable time around me I couldn't hold that up right but, but I made sure those people didn't either see me 
or you know they were people that were that, that weren't a threat right to me right uh, didn't have any power over calling me out you think about that not one of the other uh, you know there's so many as I said before in the beginning of this thing about you know trying to get this shame and and making recovery more available to people and I don't know that it really does that or not but I will still continue to try one of our things that we uh, tend to do is thinking that we can't go get help because I can't afford to lose my job mm-hmm. you know uh, and we think that these employers are going to fire us when we ask for help and the fact of the matter is is that there's laws in place where right. they have to allow you to get some help now they don't have to allow you to get help two times or three right. times but they're going to give you one shot right they all got to give you one shot they do you walk into your hr department and say hey look i got a problem with alcohol and i need some help right they will give you help right uh and 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 you know no, they're not going to fire you yeah uh they will they they will allow you they'll even pay for your treatment right uh at least a portion of it but it's a it's a thing you hear from most people when you start talking you know you get a guy uh, in my world, you know, it's a it's a male, it's a guy that says, uh, "Hey, man, I got this problem and I need some help." And you ask him about going to rehab. I can't go to rehab, man. I'll lose my job. Uh, and no, you won't. That's wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to get him to believe that's wrong, you know, no. Uh, um, and you know, like in your case, you know, they offered you that, and then uh, and you decline. Mm-hmm. Yes, you'll lose your job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll just take the lost job. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, and then really, like, that's how the, the situation you just described is how really we ended up going to rehab and how I got my first taste of recovery and Travis, too, is because he was getting ready to lose his job. And the union caught, caught wind of it and said, hey, if you don't say you need help, you are going to lose, lose your job. Your job. Yep. Yeah. Um, and God, then we then we were really going to be fucked. You know what I mean? Um and so that's, and, and that's what, and that's what happened. Um, he went into HR and said, you know, I need help or whatever. And, and that's kind of how we ended up finally um, getting a taste of what, of the life that we have now, uh, you know, but that came with its own set of trials and tri- tribulations and struggles too. Yeah. So you all ended up at this, this is about the time y'all went to Florida and, yes. and went, how did that play out as far as like deciding to go? far away so initially um he had tried going to the brook you know walking into an iop program um and i know like especially for me if i had to be because i tried iop before too and like if i wasn't physically removed right um from the drink or the drug or the substance yeah, to get a clear mind nothing was not gonna, gonna yeah happen. nothing was gonna click um some I, some people don't have that same experience and, and don't need that but i know for me like that was a game changer yep. for me is ha- having to go to detox where they where i was physically and even talks about it in the book too like the when you're physically removed yeah hospitalization right and, you uh, know to where the you know you get a clear mind and can accept what's being offered to you like i yep. would have you know i would have i just can't get it to tomorrow that. unless you know i mean i think about that over the years is that you know I, there was times when i knew my gig my gig was up uh internally mm-hmm. i knew i had a problem and i knew i needed to stop this but i couldn't and i would go to bed lay my head in the bed at night saying tomorrow i'm not going to drink yeah 
and tomorrow would come and I would, you know, make it through my work day or whatever. And, and my car would drive into the damn yeah. liquor store. You right. know, I mean, it just is tomorrow would never come. Right. Uh, and until I was physically removed and get a few days, you know, of, or a week or whatever, uh, of not drinking under my belt, I didn't have a shot at getting no. a day, not a day on my own. I can kudos to people that, that can. Yeah, and some people can. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the first questions I ask a guy when they ask me for help. I'm like, can you not drink tomorrow? Yeah. And he'll say, yeah. And then we'll see what happens tomorrow. Right. You know, and then he drinks anyway. And I say, you told me you could not drink tomorrow. <laughs> can you not? Can you do this or not? Because if you can't do this, your next stop is a is a detox. Right. You know, and then you left up the level of care. My first time was at a inpatient only thing, you know, mm-hmm. where I was doing IOP. And I put together some time. My disease had not progressed to that point yet. Right. And I was able to not get drunk at night and go to an IOP in the morning, get a dose of recovery in my life, and that would carry me until tomorrow morning where I had to be back. And I was able to actually do that. Right. Uh, Later on, you know, uh, know, I relapsed and started back up, got worse, just like the book says. I got worse this time and uh, up the level of care. And you do a five-day detox plus IOP. And, you know, and I was able to put the periods of sobriety, as it says in the book, you know, and I was able to put that together. Right. And, then, you know, it, it just kept on progressing to where, you know, uh, and then it was God intervention eventually. But um, you just had to keep up in the level of care and a, a long term outpatient, potentially out of state mm-hmm. is one of the items on the menu as you move through those levels of care for people. Right. And you all ended up there. That's where we ended up. Yep. And then, did y'all try to go someplace together? Was that oh, my understanding? Yeah. <laughs> that was the whole thing, too, you know. That, that, the difficulties that I was talking about early on about doing this thing as couples, you know, and you think that's something that's probably, that might work. You know, we will go off together We can and get do this sober. together, yes. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for that experience, too. So, and that's a sense, so, so, you know, um, his GE had set it up, um, to where I was going to go to Florida, he was going to go. I can't remember where he was. They initially were trying Pull to. Pull that over in front of you again. No, Swim. they were trying to. Uh, Even if it's not close to you, it's better in front of you, you than it is to the side. I can is see you. Better? You can pull it. It feels like it's not coming close enough to you. Like that? Like uh, in the line. Like this? So like it would be better if it was over here in front of you. Probably what you're not wanting to do is look through it. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm supposed to look through people. No, it's just that it feels like it's an obstruction oh. between me and you. Oh, okay. Like, I take off my glasses when I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Part of the reason why, it feels like I got some blocking block between in. me and you. And I don't need my glasses to yeah. see you. Yeah. But there's some kind of, like, it feels like I'm behind something. And people don't like the microphone right in front right. of them. Yeah. I think it's because it feels like it's in between and, us. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it feels like it's blocking a connection between us. Kind right. Of thing. No big deal. Okay. So, geez, um, since y'all... Uh, each, they even were going to cover yours this time. Is that? Yes. Well, I mean, insurance, obviously. Yeah, right. um, so his insurance was going to cover you and him to go right. to rehab. Or go to rehab. So they originally were going to send us to two different states. Um, you which know, is, they had the right idea. Yeah, which is, yeah. <laughs> and, and looking back, but I'm like, yeah, better. they knew what they were doing, you know. But no, we're like, no, absolutely so not. We can do better. this together. You know what I mean? So. We kicked and screamed and fought and like, we're not going unless we can go together kind of, you know, temper tantrum. And um, so against their better judgment, they did. They send us, they ended up sending us to the same place. Um, We went to the same detox and we got to detox 
and you know as fuck we were a mess and that you know of course in detox i'm surprised they even let us do that together but they but you know again it's a business they want your insurance money you know what i mean so i i see you while yeah while and they, i think there's a little bit of like the same thing that i go through with guys you know i'm like well okay try it your way here for a minute right you know, this my in my experience this won't work but have it your way because you're obviously not going to do anything else until you figure out that that won't work either right you know? But, um, you know, so we went through detox and it was a shit show. Um, they separated us in detox. Like, he didn't like that. Just the whole control aspect. He had lost all control. And, um, he, I don't know. And they, they did a good job of, like, keeping us separated. And um, he kicked and screamed more than I did. Um, and the, eventually, I, when I got super sick before they would give me anything to make me well... You know what I mean? I manipulated him and, you know, they're not helping me. They're, you know what I mean? Like just that kind of behavior stuff. Yeah. You need to do something with her for her. You need to help her, you know, and I just manipulated it, you know. And, um, but yeah, so we ended up making it through detox. He ran off and came back a couple times and they let him back. He stole, stole, I don't know. It was just crazy. It makes me laugh almost. Um, just like to see where we are today yeah. to what it was like yeah. before him like riding up through the bushes on this bike he had stolen like we were uh, this other guy that was in detox with us he said he just saw travis riding a bike up through the bushes like hey hey like peeking his head through the bushes and um i don't know it's just it's yeah. funny to think about what that image would look like of right. him coming we, up there like that and then but we get to step two and it says restores to same <laughs> we weren't insane i was <laughs> never crazy <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh, but I'm on a bicycle peeking through the rehab walls. With the- but, the, you know, we said so we made it through detox. They sent us to the same treatment center. Um, it, we we tried it that, that way. It didn't work out. He kind of kicked and screamed his whole way. He just did not. He couldn't buy into what, what treatment was teaching us. And He's still kind of hard-headed. Yeah, very. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I was just so tired like I just kind of like caved in and just did whatever that they did whatever they told me to do right and um and he was so he butted heads with a lot of people um he ended up getting I can't even remember exactly what happened he they were he was in you know the treatment van or whatever and he jumped out like I think it was stopped for some reason or other and he went to a store and wasn't supposed to and um they tried to kick him well they did kick him out so like he kind of like I stayed in the same place and he kind of bounced around from like a couple treatment centers and you know I don't I don't have a phone they strip you of everything and it was just insanity down there at, at first and still trying to like let each other go um, but we ended up making it through so I ended up well kind of what happened was I stayed at the same treatment center I completed my first like I guess it's the thirty days of the PHP program. And um, I, I didn't have a phone the whole the, the whole time, so I don't even know what he was doing. He did some crazy stuff, like he broke into my halfway house and like left me a grapefruit underneath my pillow and just some weird things like that. And then the one of the um, house I forget what they're even called. One of the 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 staff that like runs the house like saw him leaving on a bike one time, called the police. Like, and this is I mean sober, but not sober, you know. But um. We, I ended up completing, and he went to another treatment center, and I 
was getting ready to like move into a new halfway and finish like the second leg of the program um, that I was enrolled in. And they had changed a bunch of my meds, like psych medicine type stuff. And essentially, I don't know if I was exhausted or dehydrated or a combination of both, but I got home and I had had like a class all day. We went to church that night and I remember coming in and uh, like, I don't know what happened. I still don't know what happened, but I had passed out and they thought I was seasoned. Mm. Um, I wake up and I'm in an ambulance. I'm in the middle of four. I didn't have any shoes on. I didn't have a purse. I didn't have my wallet. I didn't have anything. And um, they thought I had like taken a bunch of drugs or something. You know what I mean? That I was like overdosing or like, what did you take? What did you take? And I'm like, I didn't take anything. I swear. You know what I mean? All I've, ta- all I've taken today is what you told me to take. Um, and I wake up and I'm in the hospital. And I'm I, like, at this point, I'm trying to like figure out my own path and, you know, give the recovery thing a shot. But I was, I was terrified. And the only person I knew to call was him, you know. Um, so I did. And so I called him and he showed up at the hospital. And Essentially, I ended up leaving and going to the treatment center that he was at because he told me, um, we can go to, you know, it sounded so good to me then, like, in the mental state that I was in, you know, we can live in the same halfway, we can do this together like we had originally planned, you know, um, and essentially that's what I, that's what I did, and I don't know if it was, like, God or what, but I lasted five days, Mm -hmm. so I moved all my stuff, went down to Fort Lauderdale, um, but I, like, I, I knew there was, like, God came, something injured me, and was, like, if you guys don't do it separate, it's never gonna work, and, um, he went to a meeting one night, and I packed my bags, and I left, and, um, I called the guy who, who got us into treatment together to begin with, and I was, like, you gotta, you know, I, I gotta do this on my own, you know, and, um, that's just what what we needed and I don't know if it was like um you know his behaviors at the time were I just knew he wasn't going to stay sober and if he couldn't if he wasn't going to stay sober then I wasn't going to stay sober um so that's kind of when we took our own Uh, he said in in his story someplace he uses the exact same words yeah at some point I knew she wasn't going to stay sober and if she didn't stay sober Uh, (laughs) I wasn't going to either yep which is the truth I don't like I said in the beginning I don't know how two people do that I don't it's, yeah it's a miracle um so anyways I, I mean i went to a whole new treatment center i started completely over it was kind of hard because i was actually like 40 something days sober at the time so it was kind of hard to get in somewhere you know what i mean to do like an actual program right, yeah. from the very beginning yeah, when a, like you don't think you have that's not that much time but when you're trying to find get into treatment and they're also looking for people that's insurance critical people in your right kind of um they kept saying are, are you sure you haven't used i'm like i'm positive you know what i mean so um and you almost needed to say yes so right i'm like do y'all want me to go out is that what i need to do you know what i mean but um you know, I, I got into a program, and I'm grateful for that program every day, and I ended up completing it. It was, I think I spent 16 weeks there, um, you know, and I got my first taste of recovery, I guess, and did I started, like, taking suggestions finally and working the steps, and I got a sponsor. Um, started feeling better. I started feeling yeah, better. I all those times, there was times where I was, I had some sobriety, but it, you know, and I was hoping to start feeling better sooner or later, but yeah. it didn't happen. And I'd use again before. Kind of found a God of my understanding, had like a somewhat, like, like a spiritual experience as they, as they say, um, which like, you know, I still think about today. Um, you know, so 
started kind of doing like checking all the boxes that you're supposed to check right um and put and i put together some time um you know live lived in a halfway and then from there i went to a three-quarter house um meanwhile like travis moved back to louisville he, he didn't say sober you know and so i kind of use that as an excuse for a long time as to why i stayed down there so long because like i can't go back if he's not sober and i didn't um and the next thing like i'll never forget but i would still come home and visit the kids and like and you know and he would have 30 say he would be sober and he would have 30 days or 60 days and but i could always tell by his behavior whether or not he was sober or not like if he was leaving me alone when i was down there and not like harassing me and doing crazy things like i knew he was trying you know what i mean but he would call and like accuse me of crazy stuff and just just the insanity i'm like he's not sober and like i knew it but then he got sober you know and i didn't know what to do at that point because then i couldn't play the victim anymore was really um and when you say that, you mean when he met us? When yeah. At that point when he actually did. Yeah, I remember. And, and I remember right before that, that he met you all. I remember coming home um, to visit. The kids were getting ready to start school. And um, I had walked. I can't remember. I was staying with my mom at the time because I knew, you know, he would get mad at me when I wouldn't stay at the house. But I knew. And he would, he would tell me he was sober, but I knew he wasn't. And um, I came home. I had taken the kids to school that morning, and I was leaving like that, like around 11 o'clock to get on a plane um, to go back down to Florida. And I was like, I'm just going to stop by the house. I, I don't know why it was like a like a moment um, and just say goodbye or whatever. And I don't even know why I was stopping by there. And I didn't tell him. And I think I got at the house at like 7 in the morning. And I walk up, and the, oh, the, the house is like the music is blaring, like as loud as music could blare. Doors wide open. Like, I knew something was, like, awry. I'm like, there's no way. It's, like, 7 in the morning. Yeah. And I walk downstairs, and I essentially walk in on him getting high, getting ready to shoot up. Needles on the floor. You know what I mean? And um, and I remember in that moment, like, just being like, what are you doing? You know? And, um, but it was super hard to leave because that was the first time that it was right in front of me, and it was right there. And, um. You know, it was it's this the same house that we have drank and drugged in for years. You know, they like talk about old you know old people, yep, places, places, and things yep. like that's that's my home. And um, I remember just walking out, and you know, I never really understood like the one day at a time, one moment at a time thing until that moment because I didn't like it was like, you know, the energy of the the bad energy in the house was like sucking me in, mm-hmm. and I just started calling people and praying to God just get me on the plane you know what i mean um so that, you know that was just one of the times where i had i was able to like turn it over and in that moment you know i didn't succumb to the to the urge or the insanity of it um but it was right after that that he met you guys um i think um and he got sober you know um and, and i my the the very first sponsor that i had down there uh, I was, I, I thought about this on the way here. I was really good at following all her suggestions. Every suggestion that she gave me, I took. And for the longest time, like when I did relapse, <clears throat> I got super resentful at AA because I was like, I did all the things that AA told me to do and I still picked up. You know what Didn't I mean? Didn't work for me. 
it did not work for me and I started thinking about one of the suggestions that she gave me that I didn't take and it was when I guess I at the time I had had like 10 10 months and she was like you need to call intergroup it's time for you to go home like you need to call intergroup in Louisville and start setting up your recovery in Louisville before you pick up a year because the whole plan was once I got a year I was going to come I was going to move back that was the plan and um, as long as Travis was sober and um that was like one suggestion I didn't take like I never did that I was so comfortable in my recovery down there that you know, I didn't think that I could have what I had down so there up here, yeah. so I didn't. So you didn't like so. If I'm hearing you right, what you didn't do was you didn't pave that transition from Florida recovery to recovery here, right? And get your stuff laid out, right? Up here, so that when you got here, that it would. And she and she told me, and she would drill it. And that was that was one suggestion from her. I took all the other ones, but that was one I didn't take. Um, and I don't know if it's because I got so used to being able to play the victim because he was the one who was still in active addiction and I was the one that was getting better. And I liked, you know, I guess maybe the power that it, that it gave me, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and then all of a sudden it like shifted, you know. So he started, and he started, he was sober, and he started, he met you guys and started doing this thing, and I could tell because he would leave me alone. Like, he started following his own, his own journey, um. And I still, like, today, like, I still don't know, like, you know, what it was that, um, like, where I lost, you know, like, we, we have no effective defense against the first drink. Like, I think in the moment when it was offered to me, so I made it to day 364. It was one day before I was going to pick up a year. and One day short. One day short. Up. And I walked into detox exactly a year later than I walked into it the day before. <laughs> exactly one year and i i was just drinking right but i had enough aa in me to what, what did you relapse on alcohol did you, so you drank, yeah you drank again yeah so i drank again um but you know like it and i went into detox because that's what everybody in aa told me to do even though i just had like a couple drinks right you just need to go back you, you need to go back yeah, but I never thought I had a problem with alcohol. Yeah. You know what I mean? I always thought, like I said, really, I hadn't drank in years when I went to rehab. It had been a long time. I was just like a drug addict, yeah. I thought. And um, It's another cunning, baffling, powerful, cunning, baffling, powerful. disease, you know. We like think that it's substance-based somehow or another, you know. Yeah. It's this particular thing or that stuff, or I really don't have a problem with that stuff. And Yeah. Uh, yeah, we and, learn. I mean, I never went back to the hard drugs, you know what I mean? Um, but I would did the in and out thing with alcohol for months after that, in and out, in and out, in and out. I would, because I still had, I had like my AA friends, and I had a job down there, right? And I was working in like the bar, or like the service industry, you know what I mean? So I had like my AA friends, and then I had like the people that I worked with, and like my bar friends, you know what I mean? So um, I would go to AA and act like I was sober. And I might, and I might be, but then I'd be able to go to work and hang out with my friends afterwards and drink. But I could pick it up and put it down. It was just, it was just alcohol. So I was justifying it that I could manage it. Yeah. And then not too long, you know, and I I did that for a while, a few months, and the next thing you know, it's every day. I was drinking every day. It collapses on you. You know. So it's crazy. But then you know, I got. Like I was saying, I got super resentful at AA because I didn't think that it worked and I couldn't figure out like what I did wrong, why I relapsed, all that stuff. And like sometimes I think we're just meant to relapse just so we can 
how we can help help others yeah, I hate walk that through part it. Of it that does seem like sometimes that's just what has to happen i don't uh, yeah because without relapse we wouldn't even really have a program right i mean you know what i mean well we all have it and i won't say all because i have to be careful but uh it's always and never are not possible but uh we just have this journey where we had to like beat our heads against this stuff and and not get it you know and figure out all the ways that didn't work right before we finally figure out what does work you know and it and and people told us and they warned us and they said do this and don't do that and we think we have our you know that we know better somehow or another another thing one of my favorite sayings is this stuff never works until it's my idea yeah you know when once it gets to be my idea you know when i i got a great idea what i'll do this time you know i really will work these steps and it's my idea somehow you know they've yeah. been telling me that since the day one reading how it works and in meeting after meeting after meeting but until it was my idea it's not going to happen yeah and uh whatever it is that we you know that's at every bottom i had all these bottoms but i always found a trap door in them every time yeah you know i i think this is it this is my bottom and somehow or another i'd find a trap door in that bottom and fall further you know, and I'm so grateful that he had you guys at, at this point, you know what I mean? Especially him. I mean, because I just remember before, like, people used to always tell me, like, it's so much easier for, it's going to be so much easier for him to pull you down than for you to pull him up when it was, when I was the one that was sober. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yep. then. That's a really good saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I did. I tried. You know what I mean? Like, and. N- not like blatantly open, but you know, it's like I like the things that I used to be able to do to manipulate like weren't working anymore. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, I mean, event like COVID hit. You know, I was trying to move back. I did this back and forth thing, like where I wanted to come home, but I was terrified, and so I came home, and then I left again. Like I was just scared, and it was just something I had to walk through. Um, but eventually, like. I, the pain just had to get great enough. Like, mm-hmm. I lost my kids. He was sober. I couldn't play the victim anymore. Like, I was back to, like, the, you know, the it was like the emotional pain was just taking over me. Um, and so he had given me a number, which was Lindsay's number. And he was like, I don't know. She would just, and he had given me several numbers, but for some reason, she was the number that I called. I don't even know why. Because I think he had given me four or five numbers, and I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Um, just for the... Listeners that don't know what we're saying, Lindsay, her sponsor, was here for a good point of the podcast, yeah. good, good portion of the podcast, but she had an appointment she needed or she needed to get to something, so she's gone now. Uh, but yeah, and it's interesting how uh, you know, all these little questions and these little dynamics that happen, like, you know, why when, when I met Christopher. Mm-hmm. You know, what made it click then, you know, and yeah, he's a great dude, but I know I had teachers before then right. who were capable of delivering the same tools to me to some extent right uh that i couldn't you know for whatever reason and i don't know if it's that intersect you know there's all these old things like when the when the student is ready the teacher appears right uh but you know but the, at that time when the when that the intersection of student teacher also had to intersect with enough pain right you know and and those things had to come together at the right time in order for me to be to get this thing you know right and i don't you know whatever that dance is that makes all that happen 
because uh, at some point I had enough pain, but I didn't have the right teacher. And right. At the time I had the right teacher, but didn't not have, enough pain. That's so true, and, yeah. And whatever other ingredients need to be mixed in there, if I sit here and thought about it, there's probably a little more depth to it than even those two things. Yeah. Uh, that ends up, you know, that ends up being that keep coming back until the miracle happens. Yeah. <laughs> until, until all the right circumstances intersect for you. Right. That's uh, so true. Just don't give up. Keep on, keep on trying. Keep on trying. Keep on trying. But, um, you know, it was right in the middle of COVID um, when I when I moved back. So, like, all the meetings were shut down. Um, like, trying to get sober in the middle of all that was, mm-hmm. like, super difficult. But, like, I just had to you, I had to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, really. Yep. Um, I knew what I had to do because I had done it before. And I'd had, like, a little taste of what recovery looked like, you know. Um, and so, like, you know, I reached out to her, and she invited me over to a meeting in her backyard, and that's what kept me sober, you know, during those first few months, is doing the backyard meetings, and um, and that's just what I had to do. And I started calling her every day, and I started getting to know the people around her, and I started, you know, Plugging slowly in. building building up my support of yep, women. Because you have to do that. That's what you, know, you have to do. Thing, and people want to keep this distance up. It's another thing that you see. And, you know, with a few years under me, you know, and as I said earlier, if it was on the air or not, of watching what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And try to offer somebody these tools for the lone wolf dude who doesn't want to get to know anybody. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not going to work. Yeah. But, you know, how can you tell them other than, hey, my suggestion, my experience is, is that you need to be calling some people and right. getting plugged in and making some new friends here because without them, you're screwed. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, females do the same thing. They, you know, that's, that's not just generally a male thing. I uh, can't tell you how many times I've run into somebody said, well, I just don't get along with women very well. well and that's, <laughs> I used to be that person, you know what I mean? I, I want to join an all men's meeting. Yeah. You know? Like, I, you know, I don't like women. They always stab you in the back. They're always trying to screw your husband or like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what, that's how I, and I've got so many women in my life today. I mean, it's just, it's truly, like, it's really in, inspirational to see, you yep. know what I mean? Like, wow. Like, I used to not have any friends. Yeah. Women friends at all. how badly I needed what I mm-hmm. have today. And then also how today I, I work real hard to make sure that my circle remains intact. Yeah. I do a lot of stuff in order to make sure that we stay together. And I was going to tell this story while she was here today, but it's just, like, so important because your sponsor cannot be the end-all, be-all, right? Like, they cannot be your higher power because they're human and they are going to fail you. Um, like, like, so today, I was going to say it while she was here, but I kind of got a little resentful at my sponsor today for the first time. And, well, this is probably the second time ever. Um because she's got a lot going on, and I love her, and she and she won't even care if I say this. But her life is super unmanageable, like she said. She like we're, my she's life is unmanageable. She's going through. She's and, going through divorce. She has kids. Life in sobriety is. It's not all rainbows yeah. and unicorn farts. There's ups and downs there too. And a job, and over overcommits herself. She has four sponsees. Like you know what I mean. So like I I get it right. So I but I know all these things about her, and I've been telling her, Lindsay, don't forget. Sunday at four, blah, blah, blah. So I'm calling her and we had this day planned out like where we're going to go to the meeting first and then have like an hour together and then me come here and she forgot. (laughs) And so I called her and oh, I'm painting today till five. And I was like, you forgot about today, didn't you? And she's like, uh, uh, no, I didn't forget. I didn't forget. I'll be there. I'll be there. 
but you know like initially like on the surface i was kind of my feelings were kind of hurt yeah. right and so what did i have like i had to call another i had to call someone and talk it out so i called another sober support in my life and i'm like hey this is how i'm feeling I like I don't want to be nervous for this thing today. Like, what do I do? Like, how to help me process this? And her first thing was, "What she asked me, what are you, what are you scared of?" You know, and I was like, "Well, I don't know. Saying the right thing, doing the right thing, acting the right that way." Dude's kind of funny. I'm not sure I want to be alone <laughs> with him. And she's like, "So is your sponsor the end all be all? Like, is she going to give you all the words that you need to say to get you through this podcast?" And I was like, "Well, no." And she's like, "Well, who is?" And I was like, "God." She's like, well, there you go. You know, you need to lean into your higher power. Um, you know, it's, it's just really amazing how this stuff works because, I mean, she's right. Like, we're human. We're going to, you know, like, I can't even remember to tell my husband to pick up my kid from my mom. He yeah. drives all the way from GE in Louisville all the way home. And he has to, and then I forgot, this happened like three days ago bed. and I'm asleep. And I, oh my God, I felt, but see, like, I can't be mad at her for that because I do the same kind of stuff. Yeah. You know. Because that's another thing I say, you know, like. My life is a shambles without my sponsor. Mm. And because I have him in my life, uh, my life has been going pretty well with him. You know, and you might want to look at him and think, man, he's a dude who can handle life. Right. But when I really, once I got to know him, I was like, you know, his life don't go so well either. But he's got a guy. He's Yeah. You know, and that whole we thing that is just so spectacular. And when they come in and you first get here and they go, we is the first mm-hmm. word in the step one. You know, you go, not this shit again. Yeah. You know, but then later on you go, oh, wow. Really do understand we now. You know, I understand Absolutely. that we. And it comes to you. And, you know, and it's, it keeps falling back to that. Come, Keep coming back because you don't get that. You know, Bill also says this, this spiritual life is not a theory or is it's not an overnight matter. Right. You know, we want to be well. We want to be 90 days and have everything back. But mm. that's not the that's, way it yeah. works either. We didn't get you know? sick overnight. We're not going to get, get well. You know, and then as you get a little time under your belt. And, uh, you know, when I was two years sober, I thought I was some pretty hot shit. Mm. You know, and now i got two years sober sponsees that are dumber and shit. <laughs> you know, and I go, you remember? I, was, I remember being dumber and shit too, you know. And I thought I knew my shit when I was two years sober. But, you know, and I know, and I know right now sitting here approaching seven that, when I'm, I don't know, 10, I'm going to go, man, what you didn't know when you were seven years old. Right. <laughs> that, that this progression of keeping stacking on these day at a times uh, and continue to learn about it. And right. Continue to see the value of things that maybe didn't seem valuable at one point in time. And, and it's what I think about, too, um, is like being able like to always have like like a third part, like an objective third party to be able to call you out on your shit right because like i know people and even me for example like you're real good at being able to tell like your sponsees what they need to do um but then applying it to your own life is a whole other story and it's like you know it's real easy for me to tell my sponsees to like turn it over to god and do this and do that but i like i need somebody to tell me that you know like i can't see it in myself see me i can't see me yes i say that's exactly right see me very well Mm -hmm. i need somebody else to keep an eye on me uh, mm-hmm. Yep, and I can't tell you how many times too over over the years that I'm sitting there getting ready to give some sponsee some fantastic lecture on some particular thing, and I know these don't come from me either because mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, you'll say something, you're like, God damn, where'd that come from? Yeah. Uh, but the, the the real pinprickers are whenever you go blah 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 blah, and you go, 
that was for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that, you know, and that mirror pops back on you. You know, your sponsee, you're saying something to them, and they they. It's like they uh, just shine the mirror in your just face. Just holding the mirror up, you yep. know, and you're going, "Oh wow, man!" Yeah, it happens all the time in fist steps and stuff like that. Somebody does you do a fist step with somebody, and they say something, and they're, you're going down some path, man, and it's just it's just hammering you. You're like, but you know, getting to be more accepting of these things right. and understand them and see that for what it is, and don't reject that, you know, and and roll with it and take the lesson that's being handed to you and. Uh, yeah, how this thing, it's, it's the power of this program is yep. beyond understanding in it. And it doesn't ever seem to run out of juice either. You yep. know, it, it, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no summiting the mountain. <laughs> it's, you're just always climbing up it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So you're sponsoring some people? I am. I cool, am. Cool. So I have I a, I have a sponsee who the, just picked up nine months today. Awesome. I saw her, um you know, pick up, she actually picked up at the meeting, um, before we, the, the meeting with the fourth dimension Tonight, meeting today. that we went to today. Um, she just did her fist step a couple of weeks ago. Nice. Um, I will tell you that is the key to this thing. Sponsoring people. Yeah. It is the key to this thing, man. After you've worked those steps and started working this thing on your own, I don't think there's a substitute either. People well, say, I'm not really good at sponsoring or I'm not really built to sponsor. It's like, uh, I don't care. Well, just like a quick story about how she kind of fell in my lap. Like, Lindsay, my sponsor, um, had been telling me, you you know, now is the time where you need to raise your hand. It's time for you to spot, you know, to You're give back what's so freely given to you. And, you know, me and my ego was like, I'm not ready. I can't help anybody. I'm not sober enough. I don't have enough time. You know what I mean? Like all yep, those, all, all those that. things. And the, so there was a few weeks there where there was like a gap where she had told me I needed to be like reaching my hand out. And helping other alcoholics, but I wasn't. Um, and I was going through some things with my kids. Um, you know, we were going through the mediation to get my kids back. And I was very resentful at my mom for, like, trying to fight us on it. And I wanted to drink. I did. I'm like, you know, that, that thought creeps in. And, you know, I, I, I went to a meeting and I shared on a burning desire. And I was like, you know, I was just hurt and you know, I wanted to feel better. Um, and then I, I felt like I was doing all the things that AA had told me to do. And I still didn't get any relief from the pain that I was feeling. I'd called my sponsor. I went, you know, I had reached out to other people. I was trying to turn it over to God. Um, I was in a meeting. I was not getting any relief and I was mad because I couldn't get any relief from the pain that I was sitting in. So I went, I think it was like my second meeting of the day and I shared on a burning desire. And after the meeting, somebody came up to me and I was like, are you helping that? Like, have you know, if all else fails, it tends to help with another alcoholic. And I was like, Fuck. and um, it just dawned on me that like I hadn't been raising my hand and doing what I had been told to do. And so, like the very next meeting, I raised my hand, and then like Casey, who was my sponsee, fell in my lap like the next day. Yep. Like it happened that that quick, and I like truly think she was like a gift from God, because um, I haven't felt that way since. You yep. know, I haven't felt. I've had one bad day where I wanted to pick up like this bout and like, I haven't felt like that since she's been placed in my life. So but that's, you know, and my listeners have heard this a million times too. You know, this whole thing is a, is a, is a collection of course corrections. Mm -hmm. It's swerving over towards this guardrail and realizing why and yeah, make, oh, that's make true. the conscious course corrections to get back in the middle and do that kind of thing. And, you know, 
there's a line in the Bible that says, knock and the door will be opened, and you raised your hand, and right. somebody walks and up, then she, and, and all she, that gets filled, and you start go, ah, okay, yeah. well, now I see. You know, like right now, if I don't have two sponsors in the work, uh, that's that's a red flag for me. Right. It's like, uh, even to the point the other day, well, I lost a guy, he just wandered off as they do. And uh, I'm sitting here with a guy in a men's and nobody in the front end of the work. And I said to your husband, it's time for you to go back through the work. Because I know <laughs> Let today. me tell you about how excited he is I about know, that. I know yeah. that, though, you know, and that's not, and it's not really, wasn't a real conscious thought. That's, yeah. That, I say God lays sticky notes around in my path. And when I say that prayer in the beginning of this about guiding my next step and mm-hmm. make them clear to me so that I can take them. Uh, when that sticky note gets down, laid down on the floor and it says, tell Travis he needs to go back through the work. Mm-hmm. I go. Okay. Okay. Put that and fold it up, put it in my pocket, yeah. and, and do so. So yeah. go ahead about him being excited. Oh, yeah. He's just like, he's, he texts me. He's like, I'm just, he's like, when you see Dan today, tell him I'm super excited about doing the work again. He's just being sarcastic. Yeah, but I know, and he was also being honest with me that when I first said it, he was like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I know, uh, I know, I knew that would be his reaction to Yeah. So, uh, I just know that sponsoring people is that important to me, and I don't, you know, I I, I, I got to have people in the work. Yeah. My life, I, I know my life goes better when I do. Right. I just have to have that. Right. It's the thing I will do the rest of my life. It's amazing. You know, if I have to, I'll, I will make me your sponsor. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know the like, hardest thing for hey, me dude. with it is just like finding the balance. You know what I mean? Um, you know, it's another thing about doing this is that somehow or another, when I'm on this path and when I'm doing the right things and as I walk, God gives me the energy and the time to the do time things to that do. I should not be able to do. Mm-hmm. I should not be able to have all the irons in the fire that I have in the fire right, right. now. I shouldn't be able to do it. Right. And then still have energy left over at the end of the day. Uh it's, it's like how, uh, you know, it seems like if you would go to the gym first thing in the morning and work out, it would wear you out. And but, yeah. you wouldn't be worth a shit the rest of the day. But mm-hmm. it actually has the opposite effect. Right. You go to the gym in the morning and work out, and it gives you energy all day the long. Re- the rest of the day. Yep. Very and true. it's the same thing with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at some level, it seems pretty plain to me that, uh, okay, I've worked the steps with the sponsor. I begin to learn to practice these principles. You know, um, you, don't, you don't know crap when you first get through them, mm-hmm. but you keep practicing them. That's why it says that. Practice these practice. principles. You're not mastering these principles. Uh, what else are you going to do? Right. What else? You know, because the guys do. They get through the work and they're like, what's next? What's next? Like, now you're going to take somebody else through the work. Right. Because that'll give you a better understanding of what we're doing. And you will learn as you do that. And that is what's next. Mm-hmm. And people who... Uh, People that don't sponsor people go back out. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that don't sponsor people are not living what looks like, a, you know, they say, uh, does he, does this person, do they have what you want? Right. Those people don't have what I want. I can tell. Right. <laughs> uh, I won't know, but you get to where you can look at somebody and if they're struggling, you find the holes in the program. What's your not, what are you not doing? Right. And not sponsoring people is the probably the number one thing. The other thing is not meditating. Right. <laughs> yep. Um, um, so good, cool. Nine months and then four long. And, you know, we don't ever want to get in front of ourselves. But then you start giving people chips and being there for one year and two years. And the other night I was give away a two and a four. And a, yeah. And it's just crazy. It really is. It's it's. 
miracles. Like I'm, I never in a million years would have ever thought um, that, you know, especially Travis and I would be where we are today. Like, I, and I think I shared about it in his celebration meeting. Like I remember he was still out there and I was like living in a halfway, like, I just had to, like, I had to give that relationship over to God. Like, I had to. You know, I was like, if we're not meant to be, then just take it. You know what I mean? Like, I, that was the first time I ever prayed to God and was like, here you go. Like, I don't know what to do with this, you know. I mean, it wasn't too long after that that he got sober. And I went back out after that, you know what I mean? And it was all part of the journey. But, like, just to, like, see where we are, like, where we were at now and just remember me praying that, like, here. You know what I mean? Like, I can't. Um, you just got, it's God is everything or he is nothing. Yeah. And the, those things that we want to hang on to, like we just can't. And then like how to on somebody, you, know, you said this earlier about like, how do you, how do you coach somebody like that? Cause mm-hmm. you know it, you know, and this is what happened to me and my experience is, is that when I let go of Travis, he got better. Yeah. And then you got somebody that you're working with and they've got their claw marks all up and down something, you know, and you're yeah. like, you're going to have to let go of it. And yeah. Like, what the fuck does that mean? What, what does it mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like. I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, you just yeah, it's like eventually you just find it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, how do you? But that I know that's the answer. But and I then can't, like, like you tell you brought, how to do that. You brought it up with kids too, um, yep, like turning their yeah. I mean, it's just like and that's the hard. That's another hard one. It was a great thing, you know, when trying to manage my kids and doing that, and then realizing that that you know that's not my job. Yeah, uh, my job. My kids are a piece of my responsibility. Mm-hmm. But I am not their ruler. Right. And they're going to have to make their mistakes. And going to, yeah. Yeah. It does get easier. I heard that's another thing. They sit around these rooms for a while. Don't worry, it'll get easier. Mm-hmm. And it really does. It becomes easier and quicker to let go of things. And before long, you're like, you know, because to some extent, like I have this, uh, there's a little guilt under it in a way. And sometimes I'll feel that from people who are not program people. Where yeah. uh, I look like I just don't give a shit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looks like to them. Yeah. What it looks like to me is detached. You're just, like the yeah. on type of right. detached. I've let it go. Mm-hmm. Uh, powerless. Powerless, yeah. Uh, and there's no sense in sitting here putting claw marks in it. Right. Um, let it go. And people that are not have not been exposed to the tools that we have right. don't understand they that. They don't. It looks like apathy or it looks like, you know, like I don't care. Right. We're not obsessing about it. Like, yeah, you have to. I mean, you have to, you know, apply the 12 steps to just life. It's a design for living. Yeah. And yep. it really is. It really it is. Yep. We beat this. I talked about their night TSS Army, man. If I was, uh, I really think I do a great job of selling this product. Yeah. Personally. I think I do. I think I save somehow. It's a gift from God kind yeah. of thing. And people will say it. And I think I do about as good a job selling this product as anybody. But if I had to make a living doing it, I'd be in the poorhouse. Yeah. Because it's hard to sell. Right. <laughs> uh, to get people to believe that this can happen for you, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, almost to some extent, there's a thing where uh, I'm not sure I believed it for a while. You know, when my sponsor brought it to me, I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought he was blowing smoke. And then, you know, somehow or another, I was able to, like, convince a couple guys to walk this path with me. Right. And their lives transformed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I was still sold. Right. You know, I was still doubting Thomas. Uh, but after a while today, uh, after multiple, watching multiple, multiple, multiple people really um, take this and do it. Right. And for no other reason did their life turn around. Yeah. You know, and I don't, you know, Bill wrote that chapter and it says how it works. Mm-hmm. 
but I have no idea how this works. Right. I just know that it does. It just does, yeah. It's not our job to know how. It just, it just does. How it works is do those steps and right. do this stuff and do these things that everybody says to do. Yeah. But uh, And you hear it in every meeting you go into. Every meeting you mm-hmm. go into. You can't come out of a couple of AA meetings and go, I didn't know you were supposed to get a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, tooth and nail. Yep. Not me. Mm. I can do this somehow or another. And people that come and they say, uh, well, I've read that book. You know, I've read the book. I, I went through those steps by myself. Yeah. So, you know what was the game? Recipe. You brought up the book. What was a game changer for me too? Like I remember when somebody first handed me that book, like you read a book starting with like page one, right? Like, well, if you doctor's opinions in Roman numerals, like you, you typically, when you read a book, like you skip over that. So I remember the first time I picked up the book, I didn't even read the doctor's opinion. Yeah. And when I finally had a sponsor to tell me how to read the book, and I read that chapter, it made my disease make sense. Because, like, how can you have a solution when you don't even know what the problem is, right? Yeah. Um, and so after I was able to read the doctor's opinion to understand what my problem was, then I had a solution for it. Yeah. But it took, I mean, I didn't, you know, I tried to read the book without a sponsor my first time. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's another one of these cliche things that you're doing this for a little bit, and you get with a new guy, you know, and he and you never hardly ever get with anybody that's, hasn't been exposed to some recovery. Right. That they're green as a gourd. Yeah. Uh, they've all been exposed a little bit. And you say, okay, first time at Read Bill's story, mm-hmm. underline everything in black ink, be ready to talk about yeah. it when we get together next week. I've already read that. Mm-hmm. You're already not following directions. <laughs> <laughs> already. I don't care. Yeah. Read it again. Read it. Underline everything <laughs> you can relate to or want to talk about in black ink. And yeah. then they come over and they got blue ink in there. <laughs> Or highlighted. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and I. Yeah, that's the way I was. You do that. Too. You do that on purpose, don't you? Yeah. The black ink. Because it, it is. It's some of that, and it's beating those little stories in. And you know, I let the cat out of the bag on here a little bit because, but nobody else. None of my future sponsees are listening to my podcast. Yeah. So many universe. Uh, some of that is is getting some orderliness and some listening and some like direction that. into your yeah. life, you know. And it's such a small little deal. I don't really care if they use a highlighter or not. Yeah. But are they listening? Are they listening? And then when oh, they don't so listen. True. I'm going to make a teaching moment out of it. Right. Is that highlighter? <laughs> yeah. I said underline in black ink. <laughs> That's amazing. And then they get, you'll see them. They'll flare up on you. Yeah. You know what I mean? They get a little pissed at first, you know, like, you know, they're ready, ready to kill me. Yeah. And I can smile through it. No. Yeah. Like, but that, I mean it, man. That's what we're going to underline in black ink. And here, I'll show you why. And I'll turn to that page in there. It says we put it all down in black and white. Yeah. And oh, it's right amazing. Here. I like that. And, uh, and, and it's dumb little stuff. But, you know, it's a recipe that's, that, that works. Yeah. And uh, and I don't have somebody read a doctor's opinion right off the bat. Mm. I have them read it when we get up to more about alcoholism. Because mm. more about alcoholism has more of the depth about the disease. Right. And so does the doctor's opinion. And if I'm getting a brand new fuzzed up guy. If I have him read a doctor's opinion on week one, that's too, it it won't compute. Right. But Bill's story will compute on week one. Yeah. When he's 72 hours sober or whatever. Right. And he'll be able to understand that. So, and that's stuff that was taught to me by my sponsor. Right. You know, um, is there a wrong way to do this? I don't think so. Right. Uh, I do believe there are some optimum ways to do this. And I think in the last 85 years that the big book's been around, uh, some guys have found some tricks yeah uh to make it work better and if you were going to do something you know before i fix something i go on youtube see if somebody else has got a better way to do it and i think i do even if i think i know how to fix it yeah and uh 
we have that at our feet today around with these people who have been doing this for a little while and I'll go see how they do it. Uh, try to squeeze as much juice out of this process as, as possible with the first go around too. You see yeah. a lot of people not get well with one trip through the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, my, what I, the way I was taught, we take a really big bite out of the first time in the steps and we get as much bang for the buck out of the first yeah. time as we possibly can. Uh, yeah. Because you wouldn't want to get well too fast, would you? Right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I do. Let's get. <laughs> How is that possible? Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's magic stuff. So life is good today, right? Life is good today. Um, and you're in a serene, happy, joyous, and free. I'm working on getting my nursing license back. Um, you know, walking through that fear. You know, for the longest time, I was scared to even take initiative to see what I needed to do to get it back. Um, and I'm over halfway through. I should hopefully have it back by the first of the year um, with God's grace. And as long as I keep putting one foot in front of the other, doing the next right thing and seeking my higher power, you know what I mean? I've been able to walk through that fear because that was 2015. We're in 2021 now. Yeah. You blink your eyes, man. And, and um, you know, man, you know, so much time goes by and you think that's going to be a long way off. Yeah. And it's here. Yep. Um, you the know, funny dynamic about this recovery thing, you know, like a a year of sobriety seemed like it took forever. Mm-hmm. You know, but like when I look back on it, it seems like a snap of the fingers now. Right. And and to be honest, the last seven years have felt like a snap of the fingers. Right. You know, I just can't believe that that many twenty four hours have went by uh, since I last had a drink or a drug. Yeah. And um. In a way, I like, oh, slow down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I don't, don't want to rush my life away because it's way too good to get right to go fast. Let's savor some of this. And that's another thing about this busy lifestyle is trying to find, you know, making time, that whole elusive balance thing of having time, making time to enjoy this of what I got. Mm-hmm. Rather than just work my butt off. Uh, right. Doing it. Uh, that's, that's, that is one of my, because like, uh, I stole this from another speaker, Bob Earl. Uh, busyness is my drug of choice in recovery. Mm, I like that. I yeah. I stay real busy. Yeah. And it keeps me from having to think about much. Right. Uh, and so many good things are going on in my life that I can stay busy doing a lot of things. You can stay things. busy doing all those things. It's like, hold on, man. You need to slow down. Because I'll hit the wall here, too, you know. And we yeah. learn those lessons, you know. And although I didn't relapse, I've gotten sick a couple times. Yeah. Mostly on busyness. Right. Well, you know, I mean, I guess like, you know, life today, I just try to remember it's either lessons or it's blessings. You know what I mean? That's really yep. what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, the majority of time, like if I'm like learning a lesson, you know what I mean? Like I don't like it. You know what I mean? But I'm able to like see it today, like that what I'm going through and the way that I'm feeling right now yep. is a lesson, you yep. know? Take a step back, uh, you know, inventory it more or less. Right. You know, that's why we do that. That is a principle we are practicing to do in our lives is to take a step back and look at it. Yeah. And usually it's because I'm not turning something over to God or I'm fearful. Usually it's fear. Yeah. Um, but I'm just grateful I have like a program today um, that I can work and just apply to life. Yep. So. Yeah, I feel like I have a useful place in the world today mm-hmm. and that I'm actually doing some good in the world and 
along with that, along with my own serenity, I'd create some for other people. Yeah, there was. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a good place to be. Yeah. So, got any concluding thoughts or uh, anything? A lot of times somebody might want to give a newcomer a message or uh, um, any other declaration. Yeah, I mean, just, just I mean, be be great you know like i said this the other day like today i'm like truly grateful for the pain um because pain's a good motivator um for for change and if like if you're sitting you know the worst place to be is just sitting in it you know is just to sit still um you know either accept it change it or leave it you know what i mean so um it's just give this thing a shot man um you know take some suggestions find a higher power you know all the things that are that they say in the program that are so cliche i mean they are really important you know um and the grateful alcoholic never takes a drink right so i just always try to find gratitude in everything um driving to work driving home from work like thank you because sometimes like i'm at work and i hate my life at work but i leave there and i'm like thank you for making me employable today because there was years where i didn't even have a job you know what i mean and i may hate it every time i'm there but i'm so grateful when i get off that i can that i can suit up and show up in every aspect of life whether at work my family my my kids being being a wife i'm a friend today um you know it's just such i mean my life has completely transformed as a result of these 12 steps and as a result of this program my life my marriage i mean all of that um and if it if it can work for me it can work for you know as, as as they say if i can do it you can do it i mean it's so it's so true our experience strength and hope but you know is it's all different but somebody somewhere is going to relate to it so yeah yeah you hit me on something so thank you for that there's a line in there and sometimes i'm good at quoting this stuff and sometimes i'm not but it says huge uh displacements and rearrangements has happened in the lives of these folks mm-hmm. once what, what once was the guiding force in their lives is completely cast aside and a whole new there's a whole new set of uh principles yep. are are there and uh i love that line man just give me yeah. know, the goosebumps thinking about it because that's exactly the way it goes man but when i read that the first time i i can't swallow it yeah until i experience it i have to experience it before i can understand it before right. i can realize what this thing is doing in my life you know mm-hmm. definitely uh huge rearrangements and displacement so true yeah so i close this thing with the same thing every time uh there's a little thing of uh we say in there keep doing what you're doing keep getting what you're getting mm. and that goes both ways too uh that was the old life and that is also the new life mm. keep doing what i'm doing <laughs> keep getting what you're yeah, getting. if it works keep doing it if it don't stop Mm-hmm. And uh, so I keep on uh, saying, if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. <laughs> and thank every one of you all out there for uh, allowing Cindy and I to participate in our recoveries in this manner tonight. Peace out. Thank you. Thank you.